Hey, what's going on, guys? Welcome back to Jeremy Scott Fitness Podcast Radio Show. Coming to you on this Friday, March the 25th, 2022. Hopefully it finds you staying safe and staying sweaty all at the same time. On today's episode, we have my man, Bret Hart, in the house today. But before we ask him a million questions... You already know this episode is brought to you by my homies at Athletic Greens. It is the one thing I take every single day. If you guys struggle to eat enough fruits and vegetables, and let's be real, all of us do, even myself at times, this would be the one thing I would throw into your life. So right now, if you guys want to check it out, we'll give you a year's supply of free vitamin D, which you should already be taking, and five free travel packs with your first order. The site is athleticgreens.com slash Jeremy Scott to get hooked up with all the free stuff or... If you're really on the fence, and maybe this is the first episode you've heard me talk about it, or the 470th episode, if you want to try it, no questions asked, shoot us a message on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, wherever you can get in contact with us. I will have Monica send a pack right to your front door, 100% for free to try. In my opinion, it's easily the best tasting greens on the planet. There's a probiotic in there. There's digestive enzymes. You're talking like the antioxidant equivalent to 10 to 12 servings of fruits and vegetables. So if you're taking like 14 different pills now, you can throw all that shit away, take the greens, and you guys are good to go. You still have to eat real food, but it's a nice way to cover the gaps in your nutrition, which you might be missing if you're not getting a well-balanced diet. I know how busy everybody gets. This is just a way to make your life a little bit easier. I take the travel packs with me everywhere I go, and I'm good to go. So hit us up for a free sample. Otherwise... Get the year supply of vitamin D and five free packs if you just check out athleticgreens.com slash Jeremy Scott. <sighs> Always a mouthful. So with that said, welcome, sir. Thanks for having me. You got it, dude. So for these guys, uh, if they don't know anything about you, let's um, let's go uh, origin story. You can go back uh, as far as you want to go. Kind of how do we end up here today? Uh, well... You know, regular middle-class kid, grew up in the suburbs of Chicago. <clears throat> my parents grew up in the city. You know, I'm third generation off the boat. My mom from Russia, my dad from Germany. Uh, my parents were the first ones to get out of the city um, and just, you know, played sports in high school, played baseball in college, your old stomping grounds, Winona State University. Good old Minnesota. Um, and... I was the first one to graduate college from, from my family. And out, right out of college, I went and worked at Chicago Board Options Exchange. Started out as a runner. <clears throat> Progressed quickly. Uh, within 18 months, I was the youngest trader on the CBOE floor. Made a lot of money and in a short period of time lost it all. So left the floor, broken man, and... Didn't, didn't do anything for a year trying to find what uh, would work for me. And I became a recruiter, uh, an executive recruiter for the insurance industry. And he had a guy mentor me, did that for six months, and then went off on my own and did that out of a one-bedroom apartment. Um, what, that, what year is this? This is in 1987. Okay. 1987-1988. Um, and... I, I did okay, but I was a one-person shop, and I remember going to a Cubs game opening day in 1989, and was out all night, woke up in the morning, and like, you know, you need to get on with your life, um, you know, and I, I went through this magazine called Entrepreneur Magazine, saw this ad for 
for a franchise called Snelling and Snelling, a temporary staffing company. And I, I called the number, and they were in Florida, and this will tell you what a mess I was. Is I was uh, by the time I called, the offices were already closed in Florida. So I was determined, and back then there used to be phone books. So I, I pulled up the phone book, and I saw a Snelling and Snelling office in a neighboring town in northwest suburbs of Chicago. Called them up and said, hey, tell me about this. And the people are like, well, why don't you come and meet us? So I thought maybe they wanted to do a co-op or expand. And it turns out it was a husband and wife team, and they were either going to sell their business or get divorced. Uh, it's just the most random thing. Ended up... Uh, college friend of mine whose parents had some money i'm like hey let's try to buy this thing we had no money no experience never owned a business and his parents backed us uh we bought a single office on july 1st 1990 and this is chicago area this is chicago and how old are you i am 26 years old okay so no you know no one in my family ever owned a business i had no money uh, my my uh, partner's parents, when they loaned us the money, they had a they had a post stock for us to get the loan to do the business. They said we're loaning this money to you, Brett, not to not to Jeff, their son, because we trust you. Um, <laughs> so that was that was you know, and and I remember my parents asking me like, you know, what's the exit plan? What's the downside? And my mentality is there is no downside. You know, I'm I'm gonna make this. And to make a make a you know a quick story, we took that first office in 1990. Uh, by July or by so 1991, 1992, 1993, 94, 95, we were the number one office in the country. Uh, there was over a thousand franchises. I was the manager of the year, franchisee of the year, office of the year. We took a 1.2 million dollar business into a 20 million dollar business, and in five years. In five years. That's and, crazy. Yeah, it was it, you know and. I remember my, my partner was a CPA and we would sit in the basement of our building and he'd say, let's, what's the forecast for next year? And I'd be like, what do you mean? He's like, well, what do you think? Are we going to get 20% more in sales? I'm like, bro, we can forecast costs, but I am never going to forecast sales. And it's been my philosophy in life. Like with all my salespeople, people talk about goals I, I hate goals for me personally. What I like is minimums. People set minimums. Okay, I'm going to have a minimum of 20% growth. But if you have a goal of 20%, you might get to 15 and say, oh, I've had a pretty good year. You might get to 21% and you might stop. I'm going to get as, I'm going to stack up my chips every single day and let the total be what the total is. When you guys are in, so how does the, the business work? So you get into it. You don't know anything about it? Nothing. Didn't even really know what, I knew what permanent recruiting was because that's what I was doing. That's when you find someone for a company and they pay you a fee of their salary. So if you pay someone at $50,000, you get a fee of 10000 But temporary staffing, you get the people, they're your employees, and you put them, in, and I was doing factory workers at the time. So we were 24 hours a day, 365 days a year, where we would get people for second shift, get people for third shift. And this is in the 90s. So how does it, like there's no, there's no internet. No, so, no. I had a beeper and. I remember that. I remember the beepers. I had a beeper and a cell phone and we had a 24-hour service. So remember, we were, we were 
it was warehouse workers, factory workers, so they worked three shifts a day. I would have clients call me. I remember being at a Bears game where I got paged, and it was our service, and I had a client that needed 20 people in like six hours, and I was at a payphone in Soldier Field calling my staff in order to fill that order. And that's really what separated us from, from my competition. Um, I was always available, and, you know, we ended up filling the order. So we went from, you know, like I said, a $1.2 million company to $20 million, and I was a part of a franchise. So I was such a pain in the ass to the franchisor because I always felt they weren't giving me enough for what I was paying them uh, that they came to me and said, okay, we want you out. Like they just wanted to buy, basically take a book of business, essentially, or your list, I guess? Well, they were buying the, the physical Everything. locations. Yeah, they were buying the physical locations, all my people, my staff. Uh, you know, I'm 32 years old, and, you know, I thought I was going to do it the rest of my life. I just built it. Like, in fact, I just built this extravagant house in the northwest suburbs of Chicago because I figured I was going to do this forever. But my partner was a CPA. He was getting anxious. He's like, we can't turn this money away. He's like, look, if we take this money, get a 15% return, we'll never have to work the rest of our lives. And is he like your age too? He, yeah, we were, we were in the same fraternity in college. So you're in your 30, 30 or 31, 32 years old, 32 years old. So we ended up selling it November 4th, 1996. So I was 32 years old. I got a license plate on my car that said, I am done. No shit. Yeah. You're that guy then. I was that guy. Yeah. That's correct. But you had already law like, so by doing finance before that, you'd already made a bunch of money and then lost it all. Yes. I was not, I'm good at, I would have been a great broker at the options exchange where I was filling other people's orders. I was really good with numbers, communication. I wouldn't have screwed up orders. But if you give me the opportunity to take risk, I'm going to go all in. I want to get to the end quickly. And, you know, I made a million dollars in a day. So then I wanted to make $2 million in a day. And I ended up losing it all. So just for the psychology of it, because I've never made a million dollars in a day. It took me a long fucking time to make money. Um, so you make a million bucks in a day. And how old are you? Uh, at that time, I was like 23. And this is like early 90s? No, this was like 1987. So a million dollars is like... A lot of money. It's like five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten million dollars, right? It was a it was a lot of money from a kid who came from, you know, I came from a great family. I mean, you know, my advice to parents that are out there would be to just love on your kid. Um, don't tell them that there's any barriers to entry. You know, that's what my parents gave me. But you know, I was I never had any money. I shined shoes at private country clubs. I caddied. I probably, my family laughs at me now. There'll be a random type of job that comes up. I'm like, oh, I did that. I worked at the post office over Thanksgiving in 1984. You know, I did anything. I was always into the hustle. I was always chasing uh, chasing money. So, yeah, you make a million dollars, but the the my brain worked, okay, if you make a million, now you need to make two. So when you make the millionaire, you're like, shit, dude, I'm doing it. Like I'm on this upward trajectory and like nothing will ever go wrong. Or do you, do you have some sense of reality? I mean, you're young, so I, I can't imagine. No, no sense of reality. Yeah. Like, okay, I did it. Now I can keep doing it. And, and, and that's where when taking risks are, 
you know, that is my, that's the way my brain works. You know, I never think of the downside. Which is good in some sense. Yeah. <laughs> when you're in your 20s. Yeah, it's you know? great. And how long did it take you to lose that uh, million bucks? Less than three months. And what, how, what does that feel like? I walked off the floor. I remember the day that I walked off the floor and got in the elevator and someone said, we're going up to drop off our stuff and like, see you tomorrow. I'm like, I ain't ever coming back. And I never went back to the Chicago Board Options Exchange. And you had like no job at the time? And no like, job, no money. Uh, but I had a ton of money, you know, five minutes ago. Yeah. So it was like, you know, I couldn't go cry poor. It, it got to the point where, you know, I took a long time to find this recruiter job. So for making a million dollars, my the recruiting job that I started out with, my pay was a $250 a week draw. Draw. That's not even money. That's like he gave me $250 a week that eventually I had to pay back. Uh, That's crazy. So then when I went on my own, when I left him, how I started that business in my one-bedroom apartment was a $5,000 cash advance on a Visa card. No shit. Yeah. I mean, that's and you're so young at the time to do that. I can't imagine, like, doing that today, like, for a kid who's 23. Like, even, I mean, it happens now, obviously, like, there's the freak lottery ticket home run shit, but it's so, for every story of that, there's 10,000 stories of just eating complete shit. I, I was with my dad, so in in between, like, the making the money and then before I bought my Snelling office, I was credit card maxed out, and I went to one of those bankruptcy places with my dad and guys sitting we're sitting at a desk and he's going through the whole thing he walks out my dad's like I think you should do it and guy came back in I waited like five minutes I'm like no fucking way am I filing bankruptcy and my dad's like well what are you gonna do you know he wasn't gonna write me a check he wasn't gonna bail me out uh and I and I said I got this and I never in my entire history have I been laid on a payment Never, you know, defaulted on anybody. Didn't pay anyone back. My back was against the wall, and, and I, I never really, I didn't have. I don't have any special skills. I'm not an engineer. I'm not a doctor. I'm not a lawyer. I'm not an accountant. I'm just a, a hustler from from Chicago. And you just had this belief, like it would work out. Well, I don't know if it was just naive or I was insane. And that could be. Yeah, a um, little bit. But um, I just, I wasn't going to, I wasn't going to, you know, bankruptcy to me at that point. You know, how could I be a guy that just made a million dollars? That people knew that guy. And then, you know, a year later, I'm filing bankruptcy. I didn't want to be that guy. I didn't want to be the second generation money guy. I didn't, you know, I didn't want to be the pro athlete guy who pissed all his money away. So I'm like, I'm just going to have to figure it out. And then I, you know, over time, I eventually did. Like, it, I mean, stress-wise, I take you, you handle stress decent? Because uh, most people, I mean, this is not true for everybody, but typically the more money you make, you can usually chew on a higher amount of stress. They, they kind of go hand in hand for a lot of people. It's interesting. I Stress, does, the higher the stakes for me, the calmer I get. Yeah. You know, the little shit, I'm a sociopath. The big shit, I just have this confidence that, 
you know, when, when things would go bad in business and in my 30 year career, 30 plus year career, there've been times where our back has been up against the wall. And my solution has always been, well, I'll just go out and get more. You'll figure it out. I'll get more sales. My partner's telling me our work comp went up 50%. Well, I'll go get more sales. And that's always been kind of my mindset. Um, you know, not, again, I don't like goals. I'm just like, okay, what's the minimum I need to keep the lights on? And then I'm going to go get a shit ton more. And so you go through all that. Then you're obviously like early 30s. You take this franchise from like, you know, 1.2 million bucks to essentially 20 million. And then they come to you and say, hey, here's a, a buyout number. And you really can't turn it down. Or were you thinking about turning it down? But your partner's like, hey, dude, we got to take this and just roll. I would have, I would have, I would have stayed. You know, I had so much loyalty to my staff. You know, he was the accountant that was in the basement of our building. I was the front man of the business. I ran the business. I, you know, worked with, you know, everybody in my seven offices. But, you know, he sits me down and says, okay. He gives me, you know, he was the master of the spreadsheet. And he's like, you know, we'll never have to work again. Um, so So I took it. And so you're, you basically, you think you're retired, or you are, essentially. Uh, you get the license plate that says you're done. You're 30, 32 years old, which is, I mean, I'm obviously 38. So to think of that would be, it's insane to even think. We always would joke, uh, established by 35, retire at 40. And I say that, and I'm like, well, that's probably like a realistic thing. But I'm like, I would drive, go my, I'd drive myself fucking nuts. And I think my wife would leave me because she'd be like, get the fuck out of here. Like, I can't take your stuff. So you're in the Chicago area. You're basically retired. You're 31, 32, and then you decide, like, I got to change things up? Well, it was, I, so it was November 4th, 1990. You know, I turned 33 November 11th, and I, I'm building this palace, right? And I came out on a trip to Scottsdale, and I played True North. Um, I played 18 holes. Buddies of mine that I were with had lunch. I'm like, I'm going to go look at a house up the street. So I drove up to Dynamite and Alma School, met a realtor, looked at a, you know, I was building a 12,000 square foot house. I looked at about a 2,200 square foot house and bought it on the spot. What is out there at that time? It, nothing, nothing. Nothing. I mean, there was a shell station. Yeah. So that was about it. So I bought that house, came back, played the second 18, um, and I, I, you know, I fell in love with Arizona. So I, after I bought the house, I'm like, okay, so how do I join a golf course? And they're like, bro, you can't join a golf course unless you have real estate. I'm like, well, I just bought a house. I'm not going to buy another house to get a golf membership. So you, you're playing golf and then you're like, Hey, let me take a break and go buy a house in between and then come back and play golf. That's exactly what happened. Like that's what rich people do. I guess <laughs> that's fucking crazy. Yeah. Dude. Yeah. But I, I wasn't rich long. You know, so it wasn't like I've seen my dad do it, my grandfather do it. It's, I'm a very, you know, I'm an impulse guy. And you're young, though. Uh, yeah, I'm 33 years old. I'm like, okay, what's the worst case scenario? I buy that house. I, I stay in Chicago. Um, so I I moved out here. I remember leaving, and my mom saying to me, the over-under is two years, and you'll be back. And I'm like, mom, I ain't never coming back. And going back to the golf thing, so I bought a house, and now I'm retired, so I want to play golf every day, and I can't have access to a golf membership. Uh, so this realtor's like, well, there's this deal going on that 
is going to be this golf course for members only, not real estate connected. They're looking for a money guy. Are you interested? I'm like, hell yeah, I'm interested. So what is now uh, Scottsdale National, uh, there were six guys that were put, you know, small amount of money in, and they're like, you want to, you know, be an investor in this. So I I became an investor, uh, and it took like three years or four years for it eventually to get built. So when you're doing it, it's just earth. There's no... No, there's no anything. They didn't even have the water. You know, so it took probably two years before they got the rights to have water and me and two of the partners held the the uh options on all the land around the course so we were paying money and eventually somebody bought us out and we you know got a small return but then got free memberships to the golf course and scottsdale national golf club is it's the spot well if you got a half million dollars and you want to pay 75 grand a year uh, you can play at a place that has 140 members and 45 holes. So it is. That's it, the entry point. That's that's the entry point. Like, I, let me just say it again for people if you if that glossed over. To be a member at Scottsdale National Golf Club, it's half a million bucks to just start, and then seventy five thousand dollars a year. And that just gets you in the door. Yeah, like what the hell do you get for that? Like I would imagine, like you would need to like treat me like I'm Michael Jordan at that oh, point, right? It's the opposite. It's I keep my head down. I ask no questions. I spend a lot of money, and I am grateful when I get my renewal the each year because it is not a you don't get this membership in perpetuity. It is at the owner's discretion to keep you, and I love it. I love. There's no rules except the rule is don't break any rules. So I just keep my head down. I'm great to the staff. Bring guests. Don't ask any questions. And I am super grateful to be there. But there have been people that have put paid a half million dollars and been politely asked to leave. That's insane to me. <laughs> like I've heard some really ridiculous numbers to join country clubs. I mean, I think it's all kind of insanity. I'm not a huge golf guy. I mean, I get it if you love it, but it has to be the most expensive sport slash hobby or one of them. It, especially since the pandemic. I mean, you know, places that used to be $100 in the Valley are now charging $400. So you, you ent- so what did you do with the place in Chicago? Uh, I let my family, I took major gas on it, probably lost like 400000 on it, held it for like 10 years. You know, when you build a house for yourself, and then you leave. Nobody had the taste that I had of an arrogant 32-year-old prick. Yeah, <laughs> I get it. It was a hard sell yeah. for someone. I get that. So when you do retire and they obviously they buy you guys out, what do you do with that money at the time? Do you just like it, you put it in investments? Is some of it in cash? Like how do you – because like you're – I guess the mindset is probably like, well, I'm not going to work anymore, so I have to have this money, either make money or, or how do you what – what was the mindset, I guess? Um. It was to invest, and that was, you know, stock market was good. Uh, of course, me, I got in flyers. Uh, I got in stocks that, you know, would triple, and I wouldn't sell, and they'd end up worthless. Uh, I was in real estate. It, 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 it was a winding. I was going to run out of money at some point. Like yeah. the money that I had, I did not take conservative investments back you know, I don't know how many, I'm sure a lot of your listeners remember back in the, in the nineties, uh, if someone came to you and said, I had a deal that would pay you 12% guaranteed, you'd, you'd kick them out of your office. 
you'd be like, oh, I need 20% minimum to even talk to me. You know, in today's world, if you gave me 6% guaranteed, I'd take it. So it's just a different mindset. And then when, you, when you'd when you made money and lost money and made money again, you kind of get this invincibility type feeling like, you know, I'm just going to keep making more and making more and then I'm going to get, get plain money. You know, and, and that wasn't, the more time I had, the more money I spent, the more money I was losing. Uh, and that and that came to me pretty quickly. But if you, we talked about this before, if you were willing to live like a cheap-ass human, you probably could have made it. Oh, definitely could have made it. But you were trying to be balling at the golf course. Doing I, I had expensive hobbies. Yeah. So obviously like with, you see what, obviously what's happening today with the world and, and things, the price increases. Like how much of like the timing like, d- does that matter? Like, obviously, like buying real estate in 96 in Scottsdale versus today. Well, the, the interesting thing is I bought this house in 97 and, you know, it was, it was 96 or maybe it was early 97. It was early 97. I, I upgraded that house and I probably sold that at a break even. And then I, I've been in my new house since 2017. So on the second house, I barely made any money. Now, both of those houses are over double what I had paid for them. You know, I, it was, it, people who have been here a short period of time don't realize that from 1997 through 2009, you know, there was an uptick, but it wasn't any, the annual rates today are probably what the rate was over the, that first 15 years that I was here. Yeah. It's a, it's a strange time for sure. To see it, and obviously, like you've lived through, obviously, all the cycles, and I'll just ask this off the cuff, just because we're here. If uh, it's like it's a young person today who's like listening, they're twenty-five, six, seven, eight, nine, thirty. They own no real estate. They have had no money invested in the market yet. Like, where does that guy start? Like in this climate? Like, if you imagine if it was you, like obviously, like you have this mentality of like, well, I'll just make it happen. But this is like a shit show. Yeah. To like to be at scratch essentially. The, so I have a bunch of recruiters who work for me, like 30 guys that young dudes, young guys, most of them like ASU grads that, you know, we're getting offered like 35, 40 grand a year, you know, they're college degree guys and they come to work for me and, you know, every one of them within the first 18 months are making six figures. Some of them a lot more, you know, it's a grind of a job. Uh, you're on the phone, but great environment. And, uh, you know, this question gets posed to me. And my, my the short answer to that is, if you're going to live in Scottsdale or this area, yes or no, do you think the price of real estate is going to be higher in the next 10 years? You know, and I think almost universally we'd say yes. Yeah. So, you know, and in interest rates, young people don't realize this, but guys my age realize this is still historic low interest rates. You know, you might be able to buy the same, it might be the same price or a little bit lower two years from now, but if interest rates are 50% more, it's costing you more. So if I was a young me and I knew I was going to stay here, I would absolutely buy real estate and I would overextend myself. I would, I would get, I wouldn't want to have the mortgage uh, insurance. Oh, the PMI? The PMI. Stupid insurance? Yeah, the the gangster uh, VIG. Yeah. If you could get a house where you could put 20% down, whether you had a profit from your parents or whatever, if you could do that, that 
my parents made their money, you know, the money that they made was through buying a house for 30000 selling it for ninety, buying a house for one twenty, selling it for two fifty. And I still think that American dream in Arizona applies, but you have to have staying power because it could go down 30% in the next five years. But if you, like, enjoy living there and you're comfortable, like, with the payment, essentially, then it's like – and it, to me, it's I guess it's, it's like rent control. It is. It is. If you get a 30-year fixed mortgage and, you know, the first $750,000 of, of uh, you know, your mortgage, you know, that's a tax deduction. People don't think about, you know, the double upside of buying something. You get the appreciation and you get the tax deduction of your interest where when you're paying rent, you're lighting your money on fire. So – if I went the other route, I would live in the biggest shithole I could stomach and save my money. I wouldn't live at the Optima. Uh, no. I, well, I would try to tell our young people, because I lived, when I first moved here, I had no money. Like, I packed up my, I'd never been here. I packed up my car. I drove out here. I knew, like, five dudes, and I'm like, fuck it. Lived with one of them. I paid 450 bucks a month living in an upstairs apartment, or an upstairs bedroom that was probably like 200 degrees uh, by like two o'clock in the afternoon. It was fucking terrible. But I'm like, that's what it was. But I could save money and like kind of build my life. But that game is like, it's different now. You'd have to get it. Now it's $1,000 for that uh, shitty apartment. Which is crazy. Yeah. But that, that, those are the two options. I mean, people that blow money on car lease, you know, and and this is the regular guy, someone who's not going to be an entrepreneur, someone who doesn't have a special skill, someone who's going to have to grind it out. You have to choose. Do you want to have no money and drive a BMW on a $750 month lease and live at the Optima? Or do you want to suffer and just live in a one-bedroom upstairs apartment and bankroll some money? And then maybe you get an opportunity to invest in something. Then maybe you get an opportunity to buy a fix-up house. I mean, that's otherwise you're going to live paycheck to paycheck, and then you better not have kids. It's, uh, I mean, well, I always say, like, live as cheap as you can, as long as you can. Yeah. And then if you can be fancy, then obviously go be fancy. But usually that's, like, way, that's not the answer people want to hear. Well, I lived the rich person lifestyle before I had it. I'm not going to lie. I don't know why. I mean, I just never said no, always picked up the tab. You know, going on a golf trip, I'm in. If you're going to do this, I'm in. You need, uh, you know, I bought season tickets to the Bulls. When I couldn't, I was making eight, my first job out of college was eight hundred and fifty dollars a month. My pay, I, my take home pay was three hundred and twenty five dollars twice a month, and I bought a car that my p- car payment was three hundred twenty four dollars a month. So not a great no, not a great move. No, <laughs> no, I had to do a side hustle after work. I mean, it, it, I, I don't know. I work well when my back is against the wall because I'm going to figure out a way to earn. But like most people, I think that's like crippling. No, it's insane. Yeah. it's No, I would not give my kid the my what I did. It's not the way to be. So obviously living here, I, I mean, the way I look at it now, like this becomes at least Scottsdale. I'll move on after this. But I'm just curious because I've lived through here where like shit, when it went on our, in our old building, which you've been to, it was seven. I was there for seven and a half years eating shit with no air conditioning. It was fucking terrible. Uh, but there was nothing up there. It was furniture stores. There's no condos. The Scottsdale Quarter, when I first was there, was like Brio, which is a restaurant. Now it's not even there. There was no Apple store. None of that stuff existed. Does this now become here like a, I don't want to say a Manhattan or like an Orange County where people always want to be, but that's kind of what this is. Like I don't see... And I've lived through 07, 08. That's how I bought my properties. Like people foreclosed, they dumped them. But 
there wasn't this influx of humans that we've seen now with the price increases. So even if it, I don't see a drop, like I don't see someone's house going from 2 million bucks to a million and a half dollars. I really don't see that happening. I, oh, I, I could, I could see the 2 million to a million and a half. No shit. And, but that would be a blip. I mean, that would be, if you have staying power, I mean, the, 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 Stronger probability is the $2 million house is going to be the $3 million house. Yeah. And we were talking about this off air before we started. You know, what, what has driven this market, in my opinion, has been the influx of California people that have taken their equity out. And if you were in California for any period of time, you've made a shit ton of money on real estate. So Arizona is cheap. And then it's cheaper to live here. The cheaper taxes. taxes. Property taxes are almost zero compared to California. Then we've got Canadian people. And the beauty of Scottsdale, let's just talk Scottsdale in particular, you know, there's no more land. You know, it's either NAOS or it's zoned. So there's always going to be a quality of life here that it's close enough to everything where, you know, I'm, I'm glad that we defeated the increase in, in taxes, uh, personal income taxes. It's a place where people are going to want to, going to want to live. Uh, you know, you go out into in Buckeye and Surprise and, and those places, do they have some downside? I think they do. But again, if you're willing, if you're willing to buy and hold, like Warren Buffett says, you know, 10% in cash, 90% in S&P 500, you know, no fee market, over time you're going to win. And I think that's what's going to happen in this real estate market. Yeah, like when I, if I talk, because we've had a bunch of people on and we talk about it a little bit, the difference between like the 07, 08, there's a hundred obviously differences, but those, a lot of people were foreclosing because the, the stuff was so, it was so insanely priced. And, and I do think the prices are insane now, but I would imagine now if somebody bought something and they've lived in it for a decent amount of time, even if it goes down, they have some equity in it. So they're not going to foreclose. They could dump it and at least reap a couple bucks, even if the price goes down. Well, and that, but you're, you're talking about exactly what did happen. People did have equity back in 07, 08, and people, predatory lenders were willing to give you, you know, a third mortgage. And once there is downside and there is some panic and interest rates go up, well, then that equity is gone and people are like, well, now I'm not going to pay. So that's exactly what did happen. I agree the dynamics are completely different. It's not complete but, fraud that but, it used to be. But people are still doing the same dumb shit. Absolutely. Yeah. It's weird. It's like, because like, I'm not that old, I don't feel, but I remember it. Yeah. Like it was, and I remember looking at properties where people would dump like cement in the fucking toilets and yeah. like ripped out all the cabinets because they were so pissed. And yet here we are about 10, 12 years later and it, people forgot. Yeah. Just weird. I was just curious your take on it. So if we move uh, kind of forward, you, you end up coming out here and you're like, well, I'm trying to live a, a fun lifestyle. We'll call it that. So you basically unretire like 1998-ish. Is that right? Yeah, 1998. Uh, it was like, okay, the golf thing. How much golf can you really play? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. How much golf? How many? How many times can you go to the gym? What? What? You know? What can you do? And I, I don't do, I don't do well with with nothing on my plate. So a friend of mine who moved out here with me, uh, we met freshman year at Winona State. We were on the same dorm floor. Um, he had some unfortunate um, tragedy in his life, and he was in Minneapolis. And I'm like, hey, bro, why don't you come out and move out here with me? Uh, so he did, and then. You know, he he was actually 
uh, selling memberships for this golf course that we were starting, which is now Scottsdale National. And then I'm like, okay, I'm bored. You wanna you wanna start a business? And I had signed a non-compete with the franchisor, so I couldn't go back into the same business. But my previous history of being an insurance headhunter, I knew insurance, I knew temporary staffing. I'm like, let's start a insurance staffing company. And he, of course, is like, I'm in. Looked in the newspaper, and for you young people, you all have no idea what this is, but they used to have <laughs> classifieds. And I saw a classified for office space, and I was up in North Scottsdale. So like the, you, to your reference about what used to be out here, like the closest office building from North Scottsdale was here in the air park. So 7585 East Rust, Redfield, uh, I called a woman up, and we rented 1,100 square feet. Went to Office Max, which I don't even know is still in existence. Bought a couple folding tables and chairs. Got a couple computers. And we started a business. And we didn't have a client. We didn't have a candidate. He had no experience. And we just started it from scratch. How does that even work? Like, you, like well, that sounds like fucking insane to me. Like, the internet is a thing, but it sucks at that point. Yeah, yeah. Like, cause what is 98? Like, we don't... Do I have a computer at my house in 1998? Yeah, yeah I think did. we like a, like a shitty one, though. Yeah, yeah. Um, and you could go on, like, it was like Netscape, probably. Like, it just wasn't good, though. Well, there was no monster job boards. There was no Indeed. There was no career builder. No. Uh, so if you're starting a staffing company in a business you've never been in, in a state you've never lived in, uh, yeah, that wasn't probably, you know, but I had money. I had staying power. I'm like, okay, we'll start out on the recruiting side. And, you know, my partner, you know, the guy's an animal. I mean, the guy, you know, I'm like, okay, what we're going to do is we're going to get all the people. And once we get all the people, we'll control the market. Well, when you have no people and you say you're going to get all the people, yeah. you know, that's kind of a big ask. Uh, so we started, we, we signed a lease on a Saturday, started on a Monday got a phone book and started calling and you know back then you'd get directories from people so that's how you'd recruit you know and i'm in the claims adjuster recruiting business so i'd find somebody at a company and call them and recruit them and say hey send me your send me your company directory for a hundred dollars and then that's how we built the database from the ground up so you're just like buying leads or lists essentially yeah where now you get them for free yeah um that's the way you used to have to do it you'd have to or call the secretary and say oh i forgot this guy's name he's an insurance adjuster and they might give you the name so that you know things were a lot different 24 years ago and you're just working like non-stop at that point yeah that was that was the that was the real hustle i mean that was i had to do me and my partner had to do all sides of the business we had to recruit we had to go out and see clients you know we, we we were it was something that i'm like okay maybe this becomes a hobby maybe this becomes a side hustle supplement my income um and we'll see how it goes and you know it, it, it didn't take off immediately but we didn't lose money maybe ever like we probably made money in our third month and then we slowly built it uh it was probably 2002 2002 2003 um i'm like okay we're gonna expand and i bought a lot at cave creek and greenway and i'm like okay i'm gonna build a 15,000 square foot building and how many employees and we had seven at the time so a couple thousand square feet per person per, 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 that per makes person. makes a lot of sense yeah yeah and i'm gonna go into a 
class D neighborhood and I'm going to build an A plus building, that's going to cost roughly five million dollars. That's uh, probably wasn't you know it wasn't at the Harvard Business School. That's not what they taught you. It's not in chapter one. No. Yeah, we went from 1,100 square feet in Redfield to like 1,400, and you know I hated dealing with you know you know the reason I'll be honest the reason I built my own building was because I wanted my own bathroom. No shit. Yeah. yeah. Did you guys like share one at the time or something? Well, it was a community bathroom. You know, we were in a regular office building. Oh, yeah. So I'd have to go take a shit in the middle, you know, around other people. That's a good reason so, to yeah. build a $5 million building. Yeah. yeah, I wanted to have a gym in my building, and I wanted to have my own shitter. Nice, dude. And so you're, this is like, what, five years in, six years in? Yeah, yeah. And so you're building it up. When did you realize, like, this is going to become, like, something different? Probably... When Hurricane Katrina hit, like we did not get in that business in 2005. Our first experience in the hurricane business was 2008. Uh, so, you know, it was 10 years in. We were we were just a small mom and pop, pretty much local Arizona and California. Uh, in 2008, we got our first taste of Hurricane Ike. And that was the time that it just clicked. You know, now it's like, um, you know, I got to give my partner all the credit in the world. When, when we started the business, our number one goal was to get a particular, and I don't want to mention their name, a particular insurance company as a client. You've kind of seen them on commercials a lot. Um, and it took us 14 years of him probably contacting them every week for 14 years before we even got a meeting. Oh, shit. Uh, yeah. And, and That's the, persistence. Yeah. And eventually we warmed down. We got the whale. Um so we landed them, got into the hurricane business, and, you know, we went from, you know, a $20 million company to, you know, now we're high nine-figure annual revenue. And, and it's happened all over about the last seven or eight years. Nine figures is a lot. It is a lot. Ten would be nice, but nine, I, I can live in the nines. So for people listening, what exactly do you guys do so they get a clear picture? Uh, so what we... We perv- we are a, a national staffing and recruiting firm, uh, so we do headhunting where we we place candidates to insurance companies for a fee. Uh, but our the biggest portion of our business is we provide claims adjusters and all the ancillary t- different types of claims to insurance companies. So what we do, and what, what I told you in the beginning, the one thing I said to my partner is, if we own all the people, we own the business. Well, for the last 24 years, we've focused almost entirely on recruiting. I have 30 people who work or are recruiters that recruit about 30 people a week. So that's, you know, 900 people a week, 50 weeks a year. So you start doing the math on that. It's numbers. It's huge numbers. Yeah. So we know who everybody is in the market. Um, and we know who's good. We know who's not good. We know where they live. We, you know, and we've built relationships with them. So what we do is there's, let's say there's a store, I'll, I'll keep it really simple. There, you know, a hurricane hits, insurance company only staffs for the need of the everyday business. Once a storm hits, they have an extra need. So they don't have those people on staff. They call us, these people are our employees, and they go out and represent that insurance company. So it's the, where the business I was in when I was young was win or lose. You know, and you might think this is cornball, but it, our business truly really is win, win, win. 
Our insurance companies win because they get the people they need to f do their claims. My claims adjusters win because they get paid, and I win because I put that together. And there's nobody nobody getting screwed in the deal. So you're not, I mean, because like uh, historically, like insurance companies, people get pissed at the because they fight with insurance companies. There's that. You guys are just the dudes. Like, here's a check. Have we're, a good day. We're the ones that yeah. When your house, your roof uh, gets blown off. Or you get in a car accident, we're the one that comes and gives the claimant the ch their check to take care of their claim. Like, we're not the ones jacking your rates. We're not the one underwriting your policy. We're just doing the work to get you your money. Which is pretty cool. Yeah. Actually. It, it's, 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 it's a good niche. Because then you don't feel like a piece of shit for making a bunch of money. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah, because, you know, the insurance companies, and, and, you know, we talked a little bit about this before, but the pandemic, what it's created for me is there was no such thing as remote working before the pandemic. You know, there weren't Zoom calls. There weren't. It was rare. It was, yeah, it was there, but it was so small. And now insurance companies have realized, I don't want to have these employees. I only want them when I need them. And they don't necessarily, I don't like them coming to my office. They might you know, they might stink up my bathroom. Yeah. So now they can work for my company, the best claim solutions. They can work from home and I'll only use them when I need them. And when I, if they don't do well, I'm going to fire them, but I'm not going to fire them. I'm going to tell you to fire them. So it's really created, you know, and, and, and my partner goes all over the country. He actually was in London meeting with a bunch of brokers, Lloyd's London business uh, last week. You know, guys in England, they want to do face-to-face -face business. But in, this, in the U.S., clients now that are used to do face-to-face -face calls are like, oh, let's just do a Zoom, Zoom meeting. And, you know, what a, what a change that's been to the world. Yeah, it's been a weird shift the last couple of years, obviously. Some people win big. Some people kind of eating it. But for you guys, obviously, it's worked out. How big, how big is it now? Like, obviously, like overall, like how, like in terms of how many companies – who do similar to what you do or the same thing are, are bigger than you guys, like in the scope of the United States? Uh, privately held staffing companies were in the top 10 revenue producers in the country. You know, most of them are franchise owned by corporations, owned by venture capital. We're privately owned. Me and my business partner are the only two owners. And two years ago, this is the craziest thing, you know. So like I told you, I grew up just a regular guy, no special skill. Two years ago, we get notified that we were named the 55th best staffing company by Forbes in the country. It's crazy. I, you know, Forbes list. Are you kidding me? Yeah. Uh, you know, and, we, and it's not something you buy. It's not something like, hey, I know. We don't even know how we got it. And, you know, we've been named best place to work in Arizona, which is, you know, legit surveys of your of people work for you. Uh, yeah, it's gone. It's it's grown exponential in, you know, 24 years. I can't, I can't even fathom it, really. And how many people like you guys have you're responsible for, you think? Uh, probably today, 1,500. Okay. Uh, when during the hurricane season, we could get up three four thousand it's crazy to think like because you started it with two dudes just down the street from here yeah in a little shithole office space yeah so when you're starting out doing it like mm -hmm. how 
how hard is it? Like the, the grind of it? Like, is there a point where like, man, this is actually like a ton of fucking work or like way more than I thought it would be, or that's just kind of who you are. And you're like, I'm just committed to just, you know, grinding my face off to get this thing to actually go. You know, the weird thing is people talk about the grind, right? You know, the grind, this grind that if it's a grind, you're not, you're never going to make it. You know, it's just something I, it's a means to an end. It's like, you know, this is what we need to do. This is, this is, this is, it's not, it's not the job. This is, this is who we are. Like staffing, you know, I've been in the business since 19, you know, 88, 24, 24, 34 years or whatever it is. And I've never thought of it like, oh man, I got to go in and do this. It's, you know, if you want to, I, I coined the saying, you know, I got trademark more is more. You know, my, my sales guys be like, how, how, much, how much more? I'd be like, more. You know, there's always more. Yeah. Don't, don't, don't stop. Just, you know, you, you count it up at the end. You know, and that, and I don't mean that in any bit of arrogance. You know, I say that with humility. Like, it's not that I, I'm better than anybody. It's just, that's just the way we, we approached it. And when you're doing it, like, do you guys have an idea of what it's going to be? Or you're just like, you know what, we're going to do the work and whatever this thing pans out to be, it pans out to be. Because sometimes people will, I remember sitting at, uh, I got gifted a ticket to like a Tony Robbins and leash the power within him. And like, oh, yeah, it was crazy. Gag me. It was like the front couple rows, like Oprah's fucking two seats down or whatever. Yeah. And he asked a question. He's like, who here has a five-year plan? And like 90% of the people raise their hands. And he's like, it's complete fucking bullshit. It's not going to happen anyway. Which I do kind of believe that as well. Cause there's things, I mean, this podcast didn't exist five years ago like four and a half years ago it did but five years ago it wasn't so when you guys are doing this are you thinking like well hey one day it's going to be this nine-figure business when you're two dudes with fold-out tables no zero percent chance you know again i i didn't really we didn't put limits on it like we didn't know i mean it was like okay we did this this year then what are we going to do next year and i can say that every year we've grown uh, some years it's been insane growth. Some years it's been, you know, moderate growth. Did I ever think it was going to be a nine figure company? Absolutely not. You know, no, no, no. And I didn't understand the business. You know, I didn't know how much was out there. Uh, I, I could just re- relate it to my old company that was doing 20 million, but those people were getting paid $6 an hour and I was billing nine. You know, these, I have people today that are getting paid 60 and I'm billing 90. So it's like a hundred. Yeah, it's it's inc- it's incredible. Jeez. The you know how much different the numbers are, and the beauty of my business is the numbers have gone up, but the percentages have stayed the same. And what I mean by that is, when I was paying six and bill nine, it was a fifty percent markup. I'm paying sixty, bill ninety, it's a fifty percent markup. But the difference is, it's went from three dollars to thirty dollars. Yeah. So it it's. You know, when people talk about dollars and percentages, you got to, it's got to be, you know, you got to have it be relative. So like, obviously when you're doing, again, obviously we'll talk about like where you're at now, like when you're in it, like, especially like the first uh, start of it, or I guess what's the work schedule like, like you show up and you just work all day, most days. Uh, or do you do, in, do you have a good balance? In the, no, never had a good balance. In, no. the, in the beginning of my career, I could tell you my selling offices. It was 365 days a year, seven, you know, 24 hours a day. It was I had the pager that the you know the answering service would call when a client or a candidate would call after hours. Uh, this business, it, it was six days a week. 
Um, you know, we used to have Saturday meetings with our recruiters. It's seven days a week now, but not all the time. And it's, it's you know, it's not that for me at all. Uh, but in the beginning, you know, if you're not working, and I think you can appreciate this, if you're not working physically at your office, you're still thinking about it. At least yeah. I was. It's uh, why well, I call it like if you ever like watch the show Dexter. Um, yeah. It's like he calls it his dark passenger because he's a serial killer. Um, that's the way I describe it. It's like a kid or like a person. Like you care about it like a person. And I always say this: if my house fucking burned down, like I'd buy another one. No yeah. big deal. If everything I created, every video, every podcast, every blog, every book, everything that's written, if it got erased, I'm like I would be like heartbroke because I care about it so much. And my wife too, like she works for corporate America. She can turn it off in ways that I never can, where she can go on vacation and just punt the whole day and it doesn't matter, where my brain will be either like, okay, let me check my email or these 300 fucking DMs on Instagram. Or if I'm watching something, I'm like, well, that can be content. That can be an idea. And it's almost like a sickness where you can't let it go. It's who we are. I mean, that's... I'm watching the Uber story on Showtime. Oh, it looks good. It it is spectacular. And they show... uh, the 12 steps of, of um, Amazon, the 12 philosophies, and I have to hit pause and take a picture of it. So I have those for reference. I mean, it still to this day. Oh, it's never, it's never going to go away because, you know, if I could pass some stuff on to my staff and, and I've really tried to turn my, I've let them take over and I can't be half in and then bully them around you know, it took me a long time to get to that. I used to like want to jump in when I wanted to jump in, um, but I, I'm doing that less. And even if I made an, a, a difference, it's not that big of a difference where letting go has actually been good for me. Because how, how old are you now? 58. And still, so at 58, you're still taking pictures of shit so you can relay it to the people of your company that will never change i mean that's i try to think about that too i'm like well maybe when i do this i'm like i'll do less of this but i'm like a psychopath it's like a it's like a disease in like a good way it's like a sickness but kind of in a bad way too depending on how you harness it and and i can tell you hey do i like money do i like earning you know absolutely but i like the hustle you know i like Skinning, I like skinning the cat better. I like doing this, doing what other people are doing better, you know, doing it a little bit cheaper or a little bit better or taking care of my people a little bit better. Just those little, you know, the, you know, growing up with having your first business partner be a CPA, he really taught me the, you know, the little things adding up into big things. And so how involved are you now? And like, I guess, when did the transition go from you being like the dude all the time to I'm trying to step back or at least it was, was it phases or how did you do it? Well, it was, it was phases. It was one phase where I left and then came back full time. Then I slowly, you know, weaseled my way away. And it's, it's been probably since my second kid was born. He's seven uh, over the last seven years. I mean, don't get me wrong. My business partner has been the front. He's been the, he's been the front of the company for almost all of it. Now, did I have final say? Did I have input? Were we partners? Absolutely. Now it's it's pretty much his decisions on things on all the day-to-day operations. Uh, you know, we have a president now. I got booted from CEO to chairman of the board. 
I gave him my office. You know, my partner has my office now, so I don't even have an office in my building. Yeah. Um, and, and, and I think that's for the health of me and for the health of the company. And so is he like a serial killer like you? He, you know, when you read the book Michael Jor- about Michael Jordan, the unauthorized biography, and they talk about a guy who, you know, would play 45 holes of golf and then go play and then go, go play blackjack all night, never sleep, never get tired, never miss practice. That's my business partner. I mean, he, he's 59. He'll play 45 holes of golf on the weekend in the middle of July. Yeah. <laughs> which that in itself is a grind and, and 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 he works out at, he goes he gets up at 3 30 every morning gets, dude i get up at 3 50 yeah that's fucking before me so he gets up at 3 30 gets on his bike for 50 minutes then he goes to a trainer in the morning then he goes to work and then he plays golf and he does this day after day after day he went from he came back from london he, he, he was telling me this yesterday. He was up for 32 straight hours, got three and a half hours sleep, had to get on a conference call, flew back, then played in the member member at Scottsdale National, and then had to fly to Louisiana for a trade show. This guy is, he has more energy than any young person I've ever met. And that's where I think for people listening, it's, and for you too, it's not a, this isn't a money thing. Like you guys have money. You're not waking up every day and like grinding your face off for money. No. Because you already have it. You just like the game of it. It's it's kind of like our. That's what we're we who we are. And for for my partner, I could tell you, he does not do well with downtime. Like he cannot sit still. So for him, he, there is no if he if we, they can give us whatever number for our business, he would go crazy. I think he'd be dead in a year. Yeah. Because he, he can only play so much golf. He can only work out so much. True. So for him, it's always about more. Uh, you know, that's lesson for me, you know, but it's, it's perfect for me now because I get to have skin in the game without it having to do the work. And I, and I can honestly say I never worked at his level ever, which is, I mean, and that's most things like most partnerships tend to not work out like most. that. They kind of, it goes sideways because usually one guy either feels like he did more work or he did less work or he gets more positive feedback and he doesn't get enough. And like the, that kind of dynamic is rare. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, to be doing this as long, I mean, we met in 1981, and here we are, you know, 40 years later, and maybe we've had one argument, you know, one time where maybe we talked about something that was uncomfortable, but that's over 40 years, and, you know, he's grateful for, you know, me, you know, I set up the business, I taught him the business, I funded the business, he's grateful for that, he's grateful for him me bringing him out here and then hey i'm grateful that you know he's jerry fucking mcguire man that's just it's insane because like obviously like we're so close in proximity to like where you started it that's what just trips me out yeah. so let's imagine it's like the shitty warehouse like 100 years ago and there's nothing up here and there again like and to do it with no internet like really at scale like that's the one thing i remember because i'm old enough to where when we started there is no Instagram. Uh, Facebook is a thing, but it's for college kids. And remember, we had a Facebook business page, and people are like, you're a fucking moron. Yeah. Like, what are you doing? And we would walk around to the air park and hand out these Jeremy Scott Fitness flyers. And I promise you, the minute I left, they threw that shit in the garbage. Like, who's this loser kid? But you guys are doing it at such in so 10 years earlier. Yeah. 11 years earlier, calling people on a phone from a phone book. Yeah. Yeah, crisscross directory, they used to call it. That's crazy, dude. So if we move here... Uh, as like an entrepreneur, like business owner, 
is there like a, for people who listen who maybe, and obviously the word now, when you did it, I'm sure back then people look at it like you're crazy. Oh, well, I'm an entrepreneur. It's just like code for like, I don't have a fucking job. Like I remember like telling my dad, like, Hey, I'm going to, I had one real job ever as an academic advisor. It's the only thing I ever really did. Um, and I'm like, I'm going to start a fitness business. And he never told me like, I'm an idiot, but I promise you when he hung up the phone, he's like, this kid's a fucking dumbass, but I chose to do it anyway. Um, is there a, the biggest misconception, I guess you think that's out there when people are like, well, I'm going to start a business or I'm going to be an entrepreneur. I think a lot of people maybe think it's going to, it'll happen quicker or they underestimate the amount of work that actually goes into it. What I think is happening, you know, my story is a really, really hard story in today's world. And, and this is the reason why I think it is, you know, if you're a doctor, a lawyer, uh, an engineer, computer guy, you know, you have a special skill, you know, you can do well. If you're not, you know, the, the most recent wave of really, really rich people have been somewhat involved in computers. So just a regular guy from a regular background doing a hustle, uh, it's, you know, it's going to be hard. It, it, the misconception is, oh, he's not that smart. You know, what, what did he ever do? How did he how did he do what he did without it being a special skill? Yeah, you, you, didn't, you didn't create an app. No. You didn't, there's none of that shit. And that's no. most of the when you're talking astronomical money, like you can work really hard and and become a millionaire and do whatever. Like I'm a dipshit. And like I could do it doing fitness. But you guys are doing these ridiculous numbers like. I can't. It's it's it, like when you say nine figures, that that seems like you might as well say a fucking zillion dollars because it seems fake to me. Like that scale is so big. When you're not, you didn't create Uber, you didn't create Snapchat or Instagram. You're just dudes with phone books. Yeah, yeah. That's that's why if you don't have, if you're listening and you don't have that special skill, get into a company where you can hustle. Where you're, I would, I would be a commission. You know, when I when I was broke and I got back into the working world. I took a job that didn't even pay me any money. It loaned me money to work there. So if you have those kind of balls, if you're willing, if someone says, I'll give you salary plus commission, say, what would my commission be if you gave me only commission? And that would be, that's the way that you can create, you know, get ahead money. Uh, Or be really smart and come up with one of those apps. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. That would be my advice. Uh, is there like some, what's the, if you could think about it, like one or two, maybe like critical mistakes or like some things you did along the way that you're like, you know what? Not that you would go back and redo it. Cause I'm sure like you learned from it, but like, Hey, I fucked up on this or whether it's an investment or, or something that you're like, yeah, that probably was a poor choice. Well, when you talk about investments, the, you know, trading in the market, uh, you know, I'm a loser. I'm a loser and I'm a loser when it comes to risk. I mean, I, people buy things that go up and then when they start going down, they want to sell them at the price that they were at. I, I have that disease, uh, or people buy a stock and it goes down 50%. They're like, Oh, I'll double down. But rarely do people buy a stock and it goes up 50% and they buy it again. So to me, if it's going down, it's probably not a good time to double down. If it's going up, maybe it's a time to leverage up. And that that's been my experience. I am I am only in Apple stock. That's it. And that's been a and that's treated me and my family well. You own no other shit? No other stocks outside Apple. I have some flyer private equity companies that I'm in, um, but actually traded stock is is Apple. 
And I buy that every year like clockwork. Doesn't matter what the price is. Really? Yeah. Like so no no other investments are just wrapped up. Like you no. don't diversify any of it. You're no. just like this it's is Apple. It. Yeah. It's Apple. Apple ain't going to zero, bro. Uh, I agree. I agree with you there, hundred <laughs> percent. Uh, so if we look at all this, I guess I'll ask this question just because you've done a lot. What um, if you think of, like what's the biggest like sacrifices you made? Whether it's obviously work life balance, it's probably way better today than it's ever been. But I'm sure at some point it was like ninety whatever percent work, and you had to give up family time or whatever it was. Did it ever affect like family time or health or something like that? Because there's a price to be paid, obviously, to get to the level that you guys have gotten to. Most people rarely get there unscathed, obviously. Yeah. The, um, you know, the people I've been with, uh, you know, especially, you know, my wife. Because you guys have married how long? We've been married 20 years. Uh, You know, maybe it was because she didn't want me around too much, but she never had a problem with me, you know, the work-life balance. Uh, and, And the thing with me is... I don't celebrate the wins. I'm not crazy when we win because I expect to win. And I don't get depressed on the losses. Like, it, it's like, okay. It's part of the game. You know, yeah. We go, well, let's go get a different client. You know, someone fired us, okay. You know, someone wants us to cut our rates and we say no. My experience has been six months later, they call me back and say, okay, we'll take you back. So nothing, nothing insane? No, nothing, no. Yeah, I like that. And so what is it now? Like, do you, I mean, do you have a work schedule now? What does anything look like? No, no, it's, uh, I'm, I'm like the highest paid advisor in the country. That's it. Yeah. And I don't advise very much. They just got to pay you. I get my, I get my dividend checks. And so if we do, and obviously you said like you only invest in Apple stuff. What do you think of, uh, like the whole crypto space in that world. Do you look at it at all? You know anything about it? I, I know that a bunch of my guys in the office are trading it. You yeah. Know, but they're also on uh, DraftKings gambling. So that's how I look at it. Yeah, it is. If I can't touch it or own it or see, you know, I've been in too many companies where they, they're they worth a billion dollars and they have zero in sales. You know, I, I, I can't put my hands around that. You know, I guess when you come from, you know, middle class type deal, it's like I always solved everything through sales. And now I see companies that are valued that have nothing. It's error. Well, it's weird because obviously we printed um, a shit ton of money uh, in the last couple of years. So there's this, well, quantitative easing is the word that they use, which is basically just like put money into a computer and here we go. But it's strange to me. I remember I'm old enough to where a company used to go public when it like, had made a certain amount of profits, and then it would go. But now these companies are going public, and they have never really made any money. No. And they're doing that to make money, which is fucking so backwards to me. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if 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 you were a finance major in college, you wouldn't buy stock on a company that has a burn rate. <laughs> and these companies are valued, you know, God bless them. You know, good for them. And, you know, the guys that invested in Uber early, Facebook early, and Google early, I mean, they've all killed it. Uh, but for every one of those, I could tell you, because I've been on the other side, most of those go to zero. And that's what it is for every, if it is an Uber or uh, Instagram or a Facebook, there's literally a thousand other apps that more never happen. There's more. Or even ones that got on, got on the app store that have never made it. Uh, you know, and it, it's interesting you bring that up because 
you know, I, I have this brand, Attitude is Free, and I'm sure you were going to ask me about it, but I, yeah. I, it falls perfectly into this, where I coined this phrase, Attitude is Free, got it trademarked, used to wear the T-shirt in airports, and people would comment about it all the time. And I read this article in Wall Street Journal, it was like 2018, and it was about life is good. And Life is Good did $100 million in sales. I'm like, $100 million? I know what $100 million is. That's a lot of fucking money on T-shirts. Yeah. And I, and I did a survey. I'm like, what do you think of Life is Good? What do you think his attitude is free? And I got, like, more favorable points than Life is Good. And I'm like, okay, if they do $100 million, certainly I could do $5 million. So we started this company. And I've come to realize, and, and to your point, everybody's got a fucking brand yeah everybody in their when life is good happened they were, they were the only brand yeah you know <laughs> now i mean i have these pro athletes that come to my house and train basketball every single one of them has a brand yeah i mean you probably have a brand yeah i mean well it's now it's the personal branding thing where the again i've grew up in the ecosystem right so people go oh it's jeremy scott fitness you know, you're such a genius for calling it that. I'm like, oh, I'm a fucking moron. I'm like, I sat, I sat in this warehouse. Here's here's the true story. I sat in that warehouse where I met you, uh, fucking I don't know, 12, 13 years ago. I was in the lobby. It's 200 degrees because there's no air conditioning. I'm there with Pod and I'm there with Brett Darrow at the time. And I'm like, yeah. I'm like, if I did fitness, I'm like, you know. And this is, I legitimately said this out of my mouth. I go, if I could just get a hundred people to give me like a hundred bucks a month is $10,000. I'm like, even if I had to pay out five and I make five grand a month doing fitness, I'm like, I'll be fucking rich. That's, that's more money I've ever seen in my life. It'd be great. And I'll call it, uh, Jeremy Scott fitness. Cause I'm an idiot and I have no creativity. And at the time it sounds dumb. And my wife, when we go places and they ask like what I do, she still gets embarrassed. Cause it's like, you can't really explain what I really do. And like, Oh, what's the business called? And it's my name. And like, Oh, you're a complete asshole for doing that. But to our world of fitness, I look like a genius because that was before personal branding was a thing. And it screwed me in one way because everybody expects me to be around. Everybody wants to talk to me, but it's also afforded me all these opportunities with all these major companies and people because everything's wrapped around my name. But that wasn't how it was. Nobody really did it. And now it's everybody and their brother is a personality or they're an influencer or wherever they are. And everybody has a t-shirt company or whatever. It's your point. It's weird how it's, in that's less than 10 it's but it's like a 10-year window it's shifted everybody it's great and so you came up with it like like for what was the reason like how did it even like pop into your head it, you know people would say a hey, you can only control attitude and effort and yeah but effort takes effort you know and if you work really hard well that's work attitude you know I, i'm trying to pass on to people and i i remember meeting this woman at, the T, at tsa going through the airport and saw my shirt she's like yeah attitude is free and i choose to have a bad one and i'm like <laughs> i'm like well that's cool but that's kind of the point like you know we we do a lot of stuff with people that have had um tragedy in their life uh you know alex smith the quarterback who yeah. almost died he was an ambassador for our brand you know, he found us and it's like, you know, that that's what got me through. My uncle was actually wearing an Attitude is Free shirt. I, th I swear to God, I'm, I think I have the picture when he was here. 
And I don't think he even realizes like how close the connection is. And I, I'm just thinking about it right now. I'm like, I'm gonna have to send him this. That's fucking crazy, actually. Because he mentioned he's like, yeah, Alex Smith is wearing this T-shirt, and I'm like, yeah, yeah, shit, yeah. So what you know, I wanted my goal in the beginning was like, okay, this could nobody gives a shit about the best claim solutions. Nobody cares that I have a staffing company. You know, it's the most boring fucking bland business in the world it's not of cool not as cool of a t-shirt no no, no. we have them though <laughs> yeah. you can buy them on the website because everybody has a brand yeah uh you know so when when it it started happening well it coincided with you know brett jr's basketball career taking off so i started sponsoring the teams so you know i didn't want my company to sponsor it so attitude is free was sponsoring and I kind of got into the active, you know, around athletes. Everybody liked the brand. And I didn't realize that how hard it was to make money selling T-shirts. It's, uh, yeah, the, uh, well, take it from me. Uh, you you, you, you got to die for it, basically, is what I tell people. If it's, that's the, that's the thing. And you, it's like this, well, it's, they're buying, you know, they buy the people, they buy all of it, but it's a, it's a 24-7, it's a different animal. And now the the market is so saturated with it, everything all the time. It, it's it, the guys from Life is Good, and it, it's such a great story. You know, they started in the late seventies, and there were two dudes. You know, before the internet, two dudes that wanted to meet girls in colleges, and they drove around and sold T-shirts out of the trunk of their car. Now that's a side. That's a hustle. Yeah. You know, that's that's the way business. <clears throat> that's what I grew up doing. Stuff like that, getting a phone book, calling down lists. Now it's just, it's too easy to have a brand, so everybody has a brand. And you can start it in two seconds. And again, like stocks and the startups, 99% of them go to shit uh, in zero. Yeah, yeah. So it's like a legacy project, kind of? That, that's what, that was the goal was. Yeah. You know, now if I ever broke even, you know, and I'll be honest, if I broke even doing it, it would be well worth it, even if I lost, you know, a little bit of money because it is cool. You know, I love meeting people and they're like, oh, I love that. You know, oh, I'm the founder. I coined that phrase. You know, that's it's a good ego builder. But, you know, anybody who ever comes up to me and people who are listening, if they ever met me, they'd know this to be true. Anybody that's ever come up to me and said, hey, I like like that. I've gotten their number, gotten their address and sent them free shit. That's pretty cool, actually. Well, and again, it's just a good message overall. That's what we try to do with our T-shirts, too. I'm like, when you wear them at the airport and it has a positive message, because most people are busy, they're running around, especially if you're in these places where they tend to be stressed, the airports and people are just fuck faces a, yeah. lot, of, a lot of times. In general. If you can have a positive message and somebody reads it and says something like, it is kind of cool. It is. It's and a great feeling. The cascade effect of that, like that ripple, like you skip a rock in a lake, it goes, the butterfly effect essentially, is what you're doing. If somebody reads that and then they don't have a shit attitude, then they pass on to five other people and then it does kind of grow. The, the My goal was, and this, I reached this goal. Yeah, you know, yes, what? I wanted to be in an airport and see someone I didn't know wearing my T-shirt, and I've had that happen once. That's tight. So I went up to the person, and they're like, oh, no, I ordered on the website. I'm like, holy, you know, the odds of that happening, Yeah. you know, considering everybody has a brand. And what do you guys, is it like uh, all kinds of gear? Uh, you know, life's, you know, you're basically the same stuff that you have, yeah. you know, T-shirts, tank tops, slides, hoodies. Um, you know, it, it's really ta tailored more towards women. Uh, they're, and it's high-end merch. I mean, my 
the slides I saw are the same slides that Gucci sells, exactly made by the same place. No shit. I sell mine for thirty dollars. They sell them for three hundred. And once you get in the apparel business, you realize, that, you know, I sell the same T-shirt that Supreme sells, but I sell mine for fifteen. They sell theirs for two hundred and fifty. That that's the shit. Like I'm a I'm a dude from the Midwest, obviously. So I don't all the clothes I'm wearing and shoes, everything is free. They sent me all the shit. I don't buy anything. Um, I couldn't imagine like buying a pair of slides for 300 bucks no like what the fuck are we doing no i got people here that wear jean jackets that are five thousand dollars i'm like are you a crazy person but i don't understand fashion either though so maybe that's or like the supreme stuff i don't get how it's a t-shirt yeah yeah and again they were clever i mean one word and look what they did but those for every one of those there's a hundred of me's out there 100 percent uh what is the is the site attitude is free attitude is free.com we're on instagram facebook you know where every social media platform, YouTube. Yeah, I'll wear this stuff. I'll put a plug in sure. some videos. Check it out. It'll be on See there. if you like the it. The shirts look clean. Yeah, they are. Yeah. They fit. They shrink. They stay true. Uh, you know, there's always a little shrink. Pretty close. Put, but you, you like your shirts like boys are small. Uh, well, it's medium. That makes yeah. me look jacked. Yeah, that's my secret. I'm really like 5'7", <laughs> and I weigh 130 pounds, guys, if you didn't know. Uh, let me, I'll ask these things uh, before I get you out of here. I got a bunch of shit, but I'll roll through it. Um, if we can ask your house, if we can ask about it. Yeah, sure. Uh, your wife sent me the breakdown. Um, I've seen it before. My wife's been there. Uh, your house is big. Yeah. 25,000 square feet. Um, now I'm a minimalist dude by nature, but I'm a capitalist too. I like making money. I just don't really care for a lot of shit. Why so big dude? 25,000 square feet. Like, I've been to people's houses here, I think, like, 12,000, 13,000, which is insane. 25 is like, that's like a fucking acre. Yeah. It, cr- how many people live there? Like, 40? Uh, no, three. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a quarter of the people have left, went to college. Yeah, so here you are. Uh, you know, it goes it goes back to... What year did you... Because you, it's new. We've been there. We'll be there five years this August. Uh, we, we decided to build the house when Susie got pregnant with Brooks. Um, you know, we wouldn't, we wouldn't have done it. You know, Brett was 12. So when you have kids 12 years apart, you know, we were five years from him leaving for college. Um, so he, she was pregnant with a boy. Brett, Brett was a basketball player. I'm like, okay, numbers, number two is going to play basketball, which he's not, um, and it goes back to my risk aversion. This might sound crazy, but I'm making a shit ton of money. I'd rather put it in real estate, have that house paid for. One day my kids can sell it and pay estate taxes than me having access to that money. Because you like spend it, you think? I w- or I would risk it. I wouldn't buy Apple. Yeah. I'd buy Attitude is Free stock, and that'd be a fucking loser. Or like a jet or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I, I rent jets. I don't pay. I'm not buying a jet. Yeah, cause we have. I know there's people here who own jets. Yeah. It seems like a real spendy thing, right? I I kind of feel like like we went to this great place in Cabo and we spend a month in San Clemente. We're believers that I want to own one great thing and then rent, and it's like the plane thing. I don't have plane money, but I do fly private. I like paying and then leaving you know when i go to san clemente for a month i like i pay a lot for that house for a month but then i give them their keys and i don't get their property taxes so i might sound extravagant on some of my choices but i'm not i'm not 
lighting my money on fire. No, well, we all have a thing, right? Like where Heather and I will talk about it. Obviously, she works for Corporate Marriott, so we stay at the dopest places for two bucks. That's why we've been able to travel the world. It's great. So like a ghetto dude like me, I would never pay for a Ritz-Carlton, but like we stay at them all the time. And now I'm like, if she ever leaves, I'm fucked because I'm not paying a thousand bucks a night. But they are. there is a difference between a Ritz and the courtyard. Absolutely. There, there just is. So when we go to Coronado, like oh, we love Coronado Island, and there's the Marriott's on the Bay side and then the Dell's the other side. It's great. We stay there. Um, we hang out. We do all the fun stuff, and then we get to bounce. And I looked at stuff, I'm like, what are the property taxes if I was to buy a place here? And it's like, even if I buy it outright, the property taxes a month are like three, four, five thousand dollars. I'm like That's for nothing. I would have to work until I'm dead. Like till I'm a hundred years old. And I go, Why would I want to take on the stress of that? We can go here, use all their amenities, and then come back home. You do the same thing. Yep. Just a bigger yep. scale. Uh, so the house itself, and I'm gonna I'll say this because she sent me this breakdown. You built a basketball court inside your house yes and i know sometimes people think it's like this separate whole thing but it's really it's all part of the same shit yeah you walk down the hall from my kitchen and go down the stairs and there's a basketball court and luckily since brett left and my little one hasn't taken up basketball i've taken up pickleball so we've made it into a pickleball court no shit yeah that it's weird you say that it's become so popular here it's huge you huge. can't even get a court anywhere no but we have a air-conditioned 25 foot ceiling court that is my basketball court but my basketball court's still used for basketball you know vaughn compton trains there you know i get a bunch of nba guys that have come through there um so yeah it's a basketball court in my house and you guys had to build it so much of it is underground it's all underground the the basketball court uh you know it's 25 feet so I'd say it's 15 feet underground, the top 10 feet. You know, I have windows up top. That AC bill's real. Yeah. Yeah, yeah like the, for the gym alone, it's probably like 2500 a month. No shit. Yeah. My old house payment used to be 1200 <laughs> so here we are. It's just nuts. It looks super nice, though, like from all the photos and stuff. And you're a Midwest guy. It was, it was my design was the idea of an Indiana barn-type basketball court. And I think I, you know, achieved that as well as I could. Well, and I always said, too, like, obviously, like, our old space had a basketball facility in it. And I said, if I was 16 at the time, that would have been the coolest fucking thing. Or, like, you know, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, all the way through college, that would have been the coolest fucking thing ever. Yeah. To have an indoor basketball court. My wife and I talk, like, if we move, I'm willing to move if there's a sport court, though. Like, something so I have it. I can't build it inside my house, obviously. But I'm like, that would be cool. And you obviously have it in the hallway down there. And you, you mentioned it for a second. You've had people come in there. How does that how does that work, and what what guys have you had obviously come in and like use the facilities and 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 see it? Uh, well, my biggest get is Kobe Bryant, which is crazy. Yeah, he he brought his daughter's basketball team, you know, six weeks before they died. It was crazy. Like he was in a he was in a girls basketball tournament. She was in eighth grade, I think, at the time, and he was looking for a gym, and you know, my name comes up. And sure enough, um, you know, I'm not turning down. In fact, there was a high school team that was supposed to practice there. It was the same weekend that they have the National Basketball Hoop Hall here. And there was a team that was supposed to practice then, but then Kobe called, so I kicked them out. Um, yeah, so Kobe's been there, Chris Paul, Dame Lillard, Mikel Bridges. Um, you know, this, the, uh, those, are my top, those are my top four. It's got to be crazy because there's very few – like, obviously, you live here long enough. Like, you see 
you know, athletes all the time. Like, I'd be at Whole Foods, Carson Palmer's, like, standing a couple feet in front of me. A, you realize how big these fucking dudes are, for one. And you're like, oh, yeah, we're not, we're not the same at all. And there's very few guys where I would stop and be like, hey, man, can I get a picture? Like, you see, I remember seeing, like, Mark Jackson, Van Gundy, you name it. And I'm like, eh, it's just another day. But, like, Kobe is like, it's Kobe. Yeah. Kobe, after Jordan, you know, it was, you know, Jordan's. The GOAT. He, he, you know, Jordan Jordan will always be number one. Kobe was number two. And getting a chance to meet him. And, again, here's another guy who had a brand. You know? Yeah. He had a brand. I gave all his girls, you know, Attitude is Free merch, but he had a brand. I gave him a bag. I know he didn't never wore it. But he was so, you know, what was great for me with Kobe is I saw the evolution of a man where, you know, he was such a dick in the beginning. He was such a dick in every way. And then, like, we all do, anybody who's aged and got any wisdom, by the end of his career, he became a mentor to players. You know, he became this soft guy. You know, he became caring. Uh, he gave back. And, you know, he wasn't that way. And, and then meeting him in person and chopping it up with him, it was one of the highlights of my life. I'm not going to lie. It is cool to, and like, I remember the day like he dies, we, it's a Sunday, we're here, we work out. Um, I don't know if you ever met Ben Novak, huge Ben, 6'9". He was working out here, he left, drove his car back here, and he's like, he just died, dude. And I'm like, what the fuck? And it's weird because you felt like you knew him because like we watched him, you know, as a kid for 20 years playing the NBA. And you're like, this is such a crazy thing. Because like we, you, you see the evolution of them as players. It's weird. Like you almost feel like you know him even though you don't for so long because you've watched him become a kid to that dude. And, and to your point, he's like Michael. They're just assholes like because they, they're, they're murderers. Yeah. Like they have to be. And then, then he's like texting players, retweeting them. Then they do the – I think it was like Spotlight yeah. where he would break down the games and stuff, which was cool to see like that kind of progression. The fact that like he shows up at your house. It's yeah. pretty, pretty trippy actually. Yeah. Hey, uh, I'll tell you a good story. In my house I have a Jordan room. Where I, have... I was going to bring that up. Okay. Anyway. Yeah. Okay. So ex- explain okay. what that is first. Okay. When you say it, like, you sound like a psychopath now. Well, when I when I, okay, so it's a it's a room, a three sided room that you know is open. It's not closed, and it looks there's library. There's a library ladder, and there's a wood case with glass shelves, and individualized compartments that holds over like 330 pair of Jordans from the floor to probably 10 feet high. Like, to put up the top shelf ones, I have to use this library ladder that's on rollers. These are never worn? No, they're, you know, some have never been worn, but most, you know, I'm not one of these guys that's buying them to sell them. I'm buying them. I got floor seats to the Suns game. I want to wear my shoes to the Suns game. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I get it. I want to represent. So when it, it, it started out as a small, you know, most people when they hear Jordan Room, they think of, you know, a closet. You know, that's most people Jordan's room. Or like you got a Wings poster, you got, yeah. you know, some little shit. Yeah, and this, this it's really a piece of art. And, you know, I credit my, my designer, uh, Stephanie, who came up with, you know, took my vision and came up with the idea. But when, I, when Chris Paul was at my house, he came to shoot a commercial. I played golf with him like two weeks earlier. It's very weird. Then they were shooting a commercial. He came to my house. I'm like, hey, bro, you want to come up and see the Jordan room? And he comes up. And he gets up there and he freaks out where he's a Jordan guy. Yeah. I have a pair of his Jordans in the Jordan room that he ended up signing. That's pretty badass, actually. Yeah, he calls his Jordan rep 
from the room. He doesn't answer. So then he calls his wife, and he's and he's FaceTiming his wife, my Jordan room. He goes downstairs, shooting the commercial. His phone rings. It's the Jordan guy calling him back, and he cuts the commercial. He's like, hey, Brett, you mind if I go back up there? And he goes back up to show the Jordan guy my Jordan room. And he showed me his Jordan room, and his Jordan room is way bigger and way more shoes, but mine's cooler. And that's, he and he said that. That's pretty badass, actually. I think I have a photo. I think your wife sent me a photo of it, maybe. Do you have one on Instagram or no? Yeah. I'll rip it on and I'll put it on um, I'll put it on IG. Because it is super cool. Obviously I'm a Jordan guy. Like it's our yeah. he's the dude. I mean, like yes. that's all we did as kids. Like we grew up like you'd pretend you were Jordan. And then like in fifth grade I figured out I wasn't gonna be six six and I had z- zero ability. Like, he, like, he, well, fuck, like, I get dunk a basketball, but there's like, it's like you can play golf, right? But so can Tiger. Yeah. That's the difference. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, he's doing things that are not like a normal human. But like, that's, we're obsessed with it. Yeah. Like, every one of my friends, like, we didn't want to be Larry Bird. We didn't, Larry Bird's the shit. We didn't want to be Magic. We didn't want to be Barkley. It was just Michael. Yeah. All day, every day. Uh, you've met him too. Yeah. Played golf with him twice. Uh, played with him at, you know, was now Scottsdale National. Uh, had to buy my way into the game. Like, he was at a bar, and I'm like, hey, let's play $500 four ways. Because he wasn't going to have a guy like me in the game. And he's like, all right, you're in. And I, I got a, I got a, actually a pretty good Michael Jordan story. So we it was a windy day, and it was him, and it was uh, Roy Green, um, Lonnie Smith, um, and, and some other pro. And we play 18 holes. He beats me one way, won $500. And, of course, Jordan's obsessed, plays all day. And he's like, come on, we'll play another 18. And I'm like, nah, I'm out. And he's like, no, we're not, we are not. don't have to play for that kind of money. Just come play. I'm like, nah, I'm out. So I get the story I get to tell people is I'm the, one of the few guys that ever said no to Michael Jordan to play another round of golf. I was so mentally and physically exhausted playing 18 holes of golf with him that I was I was spent. Does he like talk shit or no? Oh, total shit talker. The whole time. And the next time I played with him was in a member guest up in Utah. And the first hole, I I made a birdie. And he's like, oh, you fucking amateurs. You all bring out your A game against me. Like he he's just, he was so spectacular. I mean, huge cigar, talking shit, and just goes from sunrise to sunset. I mean, it's basically what what you see. Like it's, as advertised, he is that guy. It's uh, watching the last, we talked about this before. Like watching the last dance, like was like the highlight of the pandemic for me. And just to see like there's some like everything like the the phrase I always go back to is like I took it personal. Like he takes fucking every, he's, everything. He, he makes up shit. Though. Yes, I forget what it was, maybe it was like he was a rookie or something. And I forget the dude like lit him up for like 20 points in the first half. And then he he tells the story on there like oh he was talking shit to me whatever. Then like later on they're like well that actually never happened. He just like he fabricates the whole thing to create these scenarios where someone has like slighted him so he can just get pissed off and like just murder him. Yeah, the thing about him where we were talking about Kobe like he humbled himself late in life. Michael never humbled himself. Like his listening to his Hall of Fame speech, as a Jordan guy, as a guy who had season tickets for his whole career, who loves, who has a Jordan room, that did not sit well with me. The way he had to bring everybody up that slighted him, that would have been the time 
but I'm not Michael Jordan, so I don't know what it feels like to be Michael Jordan. That would have been the time to show some humility, but he didn't. He just can't. Uh, it's like you can't turn it off. No. It's like this infection you have and just keeps. <laughs> Dude, you're old now. It's like yeah. fucking just chill. You're kind of fat too, bro. But he can't, man. It's. Uh, I did. I did see a thing. I think it was like a video. They say he's like taking up fishing now. Um, of course. Because he just has to like. Because it kind of forces him to chill. Because you can't really, like, you're just fishing. Like, what the fuck are you going to do? Like, either it bites the line or not. Because golf, he's still such a psychopath. And, like, everything. Ping pong, you name it. I'm like, it's, uh, I remember watching that speech, too, and I'm like, yeah, he just, like, this is who he is. Yeah. Through and through. Which, I mean, I appreciate it for. Yeah. Well, when you're the greatest of all time, you get to write your own rules. I agree there. Uh, I'll ask this since it's obviously a health podcast. Uh, 58, you're uh, super fit these days. What, um. When did you take like start taking like fitness and stuff serious? Did you do it your whole career, or was there a time where you're like, you know what, I'm not as healthy as I want to be. Let's spend the time, you know, keeping my body in check. Or when was the shift? Uh, well, I've always worked out, like since you know graduating college. Yeah. You know, first what you did it because you wanted to meet girls at the gym. Hundred percent. And then you know, I I was kind of genetically gifted where I can get semi jacked for a you know a regular dude. Yeah. So I got into into lifting and, you know, did like half triathlon, stuff like that. Um, always have always have worked out, always played sports. Um, but I my you know, to be honest, I my my life took a I told you seven years ago I kinda left my business. At about the same time I developed a major drinking problem. When uh, you when you stop working? When I, when I, it, it's pretty coincidental. There was like a, a factor of things. My wife became pregnant with number two and I'm 50 years old. I pretty much completely stepped away from the company, our company, and I got introduced to whiskey. So those three things kind of happened at the same time. Um, and, you know, if people are familiar, alcoholism is a, a progressive disease. Uh, my mom died at 69 from alcoholism. Her sister died from it at 42. You know, I never thought I was an alcoholic. Nobody ever wants to be an alcoholic. And, you know, I've never been arrested, never had a DUI. Uh, you know, I never had domestic violence, any of those things. But I, once I got turned on to whiskey, it it was a, a, a faucet I couldn't turn off. Um, and, you know, going to the doctor and them saying... Okay, your liver counts are three times what they used to be. What they used to be. But you know what's weird about the doctor? The doctor who doesn't say, hey, quit drinking or you have a problem. They're like, oh, I've seen people with worse. So, well, it's fucking America, dude. Like, yeah. There's always people who are worse. I mean, but not, there was, you know, like, oh, you, there, so I'm thinking, oh, it's not that bad. No sense of urgency. Yeah, no sense of urgency. I'll, you know, I'll work out harder. You know, I'll eat less carbs. Um. So I, you know, it was, it, I, I tried quitting on my own, uh, very, very unsuccessfully. Like how much would you drink in a day? Every day? By the, by the end, no, it was, you know, like I couldn't, I couldn't understand people who drank in the morning. Couldn't understand people that came home at night and drank all through my business career. I didn't come home and drink. You know, my, my master was chasing money until it wasn't. And then my master eventually became alcohol. Yeah. I would drink in the morning. Um, like when you wake up, sometimes. Oh shit! Yeah. What, it, like what, what's the whiskey? Just what? Uh, this is a plug for Tullamore Dew. It's an Irish whiskey. Yeah, I know what it is. That's twenty five dollars a fifth. 
I went to the Ronald Reagan Museum. Yeah, and, like of all the whiskeys, dude. Yeah. In the Ronald Reagan Museum, he has a little bar, and the one whiskey they have in there is Tullamore Dew, which is very weird. Um, Jeez. But no, it became my master, and I was drinking against my will. Like, I did not want to drink, uh, so I just avoided my family. You know, I have a 25,000-square-foot house. You can I, was, hide. I was able to isolate and be alone, uh, and it was horrible. Um, it, you know, that went on. It was, it was a progressive, rapid decline. Had, a, had what my bottom was, which was a major incident in my family life, uh, and I went and got help. Like, I didn't go to rehab. Um, called a buddy I knew in a program, the 12-step program. Went to a meeting the next day, and yesterday was 14 months uh, of sobriety, and I am one grateful alcoholic. That's crazy. Yeah. 14 months is a long time, too, man. 14 months, you know, is a long time without a drink when yeah. you're an alcoholic. Uh, you know, and, and what I can say is people would think that alcoholics are guys that are bums on the street or, you know, whatever. You have a preconceived notion of what an alcoholic is. Alcoholism is no pre. It doesn't care who you are. It doesn't care what color you are. It doesn't care what sex you are. It doesn't care what religion you are. I mean, it's basically one in six people are alcoholic. Now, how many are treated alcoholics? I don't know. Um, but I sought help from an individual. Got in a twelve-step program, and my life has never been better. You know, it. One was. One was. I couldn't have one. I, I know I can never drink like a normal person. Yeah. I can't, you know, let's go have a couple of Coors Lights. That's not in my MO. It's going to be, if I go out, I'm going to go full throttle, and I'll, pro I'll either end up dead or in jail. That was, uh, that, was my, that was my college days. Drink 20 beers, pee your pants, head butt the wall, and, like, wake up and be like, what the fuck? Where's my shoes? Where's my keys? That's my... I'm, uh, it's weird you say it too, because we've had people here where a guy, he was an accountant, super successful and he was like a controlled alcoholic is what I kind of call it. Like a functional where he would not drink all day, but from like five o'clock to seven o'clock drink like, and he didn't tell us this either. Um, and then he had a heart attack like on a Monday and he was here on a Friday, but he would drink like a fifth basically in that two hour window, like every fucking day, but then wake up the next day, go to work, do everything. And so was managing it kind of in some weird fucking way until he wasn't. And then the wheels obviously fell off, which is insane. And it, look, look at look at my business career. You know, I was always an alcoholic. It just took the took for me to have time, opportunity, excuse, drink whiskey, that then, you know, and I was still managing it then. You know, I didn't I didn't it wasn't like I was completely removed from my business. But I removed myself from the world, kind of. Uh, and there's no such thing as a functioning alcoholic. I mean, you're an alcoholic. You're just managing you might it. Be, you might be able to function, yeah. but it's eventually the bill is going to come. You know, all this money they're printing, you know, it's that bill's coming due. And any alcoholic who's drinking, and, that, and that, what you're saying about him was similar to me. Once I found whiskey, I was able to get drunk in five minutes. You know, drinking beer it takes a long time. Like you drink twenty beers, you didn't drink twenty beers in an hour. No, it takes like six, seven yeah, hours. Yeah. yeah. So that's kind of what happened. You know, that's my experience. Uh, and it wasn't until you quit working at that pace that it became like this transparent problem. 
Uh, well, looking back on my history, you know, I never drank alone. I never drank in the morning. Uh, I thought people who came, you know, like I, I'd see people come home from work and I used to have beer in my fridge and it could go a month. Now, I was an event drinker. You know, you get me in a Suns game uh, and you're dragging Bender and I abuse you because I'm hammered. And yeah. I, got, I got a letter from the Bulls in 1988 telling me that if I didn't calm down, I was going to lose my season tickets. Oh, that, no shit. Yeah, that's the kind of drinker I was. Oh, yeah. Um, but I, it was an event thing. And I was always chasing money. Um, you know, and, and then I had my wife and my first kid where, you know, I didn't go down that path and then until I did. And then once I did, it was it was a disaster. So it's like uh, like an addictive personality kind of. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's definitely the case. Yeah, you just transferred it from this Money. successful business to booze. To booze. And so you go through the the whole twelve step program. Obviously, like you've been able to maintain it for fourteen months, which is pretty badass. Do you then like turn that into fitness in some way, or like your workouts, or you're just like you always were just kind of working out? Yeah, I work out better now. You yeah. know. Well, I would, yeah, I, you're not shit faced. Yeah, so. I'm not hungover. Uh, I do more with a purpose. You know, me playing pickleball. You know, I, I could never be counted on. You know, I play golf five days a week, and I'm working on my game. Where it was like, okay, I'll show up to golf, maybe, maybe not. That was everything in my life. Now, you take drinking out of your equation. That you got a lot of time that yeah. you need to fill up, and I've been able to fill it up. You know, I fill it up going to meetings. I go to it. I fill it up helping other alcoholics, passing the message. But I filled it with fit. You know, I fill it with fitness and taking care of myself, and you know, honestly, being a good human being. And how hard was it? Like when you and it's for I think obviously it's tough for everybody. We've had people on here to share similar stuff where they actually are going to reach out for help and go somewhere. Like how tough is that? And then how tough is the process going through it to go from like, hey, I'm waking up drinking whiskey straight to now I'm not going to do it at all. Is the beginning like rough? Uh, you know, I was I was so scared shitless. Like I didn't know what was going to happen in my family life. You know, I knew I was an alcoholic. I had all the all the evidence I needed. You know, it was right there in front of me. And I and I told you I'm a black and white guy. I wasn't. I didn't yield to my innermost self until the di- the morning uh, after the night of, as we call it. The night of is the night I blew my life up. Yeah. And I call the one guy I knew in a program, and I'm like, hey, bro. You know, he talked to me like a year earlier, and I'm like, oh, I can do this on my own. I'll work out more. You know, I quit drinking. I quit, and then I didn't. And, you know, nobody even knew that I was still that I was drinking, and that was at full throttle. So you just kind of like hide it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, my family didn't like me, so they weren't around me, so they didn't give a shit. You know, it was it was pretty easy to hide it. Uh so I, I went in, you know, and this is right in the pandemic, right? So he's like, oh, I'm doing Zoom meetings. I'm like, listen, bro, I need to go to an in-person meeting. Um, so we found one, walked in there. It, was, it, You know, I felt somewhat humiliated, but, you know, who am I? I'm no big shot. Nobody gives a fuck. And it was, it was the most rewarding experience. You know, my first 90 days, I probably went to 140 meetings. Oh, shit. Uh, yeah. Like, I went... Well, you're, that's your personality. Yeah, that's yeah. your personality. Type. Yeah, I went full in, and I'm, and you know, I can never not be full in. Like if I go a couple of days without going to a meeting, I start getting a little off. And and the, going to meetings is not about not drinking for me anymore. It's more about being a good human being. Yeah. You know that they teach you the way to live life on life's terms. Where before it was always living life on my terms. 
Yeah. And, you know, that's changed. And now you can, obviously, you talk to the other people. When I'm sure, like, new people show up or you can kind of pour into them or you can help those guys too, which is kind of cool. That's that's the most important part of the whole program. Yeah. You know, I got to give what was freely given to me. And, you know, that's what keeps us sober is, like, talking to another alcoholic. And I wonder, too, like, obviously, I'm sure the last two years of pandemic has not helped people oh, in that regard, which is crazy. And, again, I understand the, the kind of fucked up, you know, a logic behind it where – you close down gyms and you close down all these facilities, and I get it for early on and shit. But yet, you always would keep liquor stores open because you're too worried about people like going through withdrawal, yeah, and having some real fucking crazy problems. Because that's where we're at, kind of as a as a nation, I guess, to Bro, see that go on. How about going to restaurants during the pandemic? You could pull up and they'd give you, they'd make you a cocktail. You know, I mean, like uh, Lumel Nadis. You could order booze to go during the pandemic. I didn't know this. A buddy of mine in the program has a girlfriend who, who's, who drinks and she's at his apartment and you can order booze online. Like people deliver booze online. I didn't know that. No shit. Yeah. That's happened since I've gotten sober, but like she ordered a bottle of wine at like 10 o'clock at night. They live in, you know, like fashion square or whatever, but I didn't, you know, they, alcoholism is blown up. You know, alcohol sales of, you know, if I was smart at the start of the pandemic, I would have invested in alcohol stocks. We got They've killed it. Yeah, we got a dude. He, uh, you know, like the Trevors, like those like liquor stores, kind of like bar. There's a couple of them. He owns them in the valley, and he crushes it. Cause I'm like, oh, it's fucking booze, dude. It's booze. Yeah. yeah, it's like stealing. Yeah, it's uh, it's weird. And again, to make it even more accessible, easier, that's uh, it's just I imagine the last two years have been rough for everybody, and the dependency on that. Like if you like go around neighborhoods, sometimes like in like we live in Scottsdale, and so now all the shit's in front of people's houses. It used to be in the back alleys. Uh, like Arcadia area, Old Town, where we live. And it's like you go buy someone's recyclables, and it's like it's like a college fucking party was there. And I'm like, well, there's no college kids who live here. No. Which is kind of gnarly to see. No, I, you know, AJ's up in North Scottsdale. Oh, yeah. They have baskets now with little bottles of like Knob Creek. You know, oh. I mean, how do you, how is alcohol now an impulse item? You know, I get gum and, you know, candy mints, bars and shit or whatever. But now it's booze. booze. And, you know, hey, to each his own, uh, but they're certainly not helping. People are in such denial about alcohol as a problem. You know, thank God for Uber. You know, at least that keeps down, you know, the unfortunate deaths. But, you know, people are drinking themselves to death. I mean, the first thing they tell you when you get in a, in a program is, you know, buy a black suit because you're going to meet a lot of people that are going to die. No shit. Yeah. Like, that's a real statement. That's a real thing. It's crazy to me too, obviously, like how it's, it's in everything we do. It's every, especially for, obviously I'm older now, so we do at least a little, some more mature shit. Um, when you're young, but you know, when you're a young dude, the whole culture behind that is, you know, if you're not drinking, like you're somehow less of a dude. Yeah. Like, it's like, you look at like, come on, you pussy. Yeah. That's basically, it's, it's basically the fucking statement <laughs> yeah. where it's so arbitrary because like you would not all hang around and like eat oatmeal and make some guy like choke down oatmeal with you, but yet we'll do it with whiskey or beer or whatever it may be. So culturally, obviously there's something fucked about it, but every social event you go to, obviously golf becomes like most people or softball. It's the beer league golf. They go do it. If someone goes and watch the game with you, we're going to have drinks. Everything is always revolving around food and drink typically. And you look at obviously the obesity rates and the alcohol rates and you wonder why yeah. we are where we are. We're it's a criminal enterprise, but you know, that's we're in America. 
you know, you know, freedom of freedom of choice, and they just make those choices very, very easy. I mean, the glamorization, you know, first in the, in recovery, every TV show I w- would watch, you know, it would be booze, booze, booze. It, it was always there, but I never noticed it till I got sober. Uh, when the commercials too, every you know, and they oh no carb, gluten free. Yeah, I mean, are you kidding me? It's still alcohol. It's still poison, yeah. literally. Uh, but you know, uh, I'm just glad that I'm in, I'm in recovery. You know, I'm worried about me, and I'm and I'm more than willing and happy to help others that that want to get what I got. And you still go to you go to meetings every week or no? Oh, I go to multiple meetings a week. You know, I'd say an average of five a week. But you know, I talk to my sponsor every week. Uh, I meet with guys every week. I mean, it's it's. My friends now are all guys that are in the program. You know, I still have a few friends that are, you know, that maybe or maybe are not alcoholics, but not in the program. Yeah. Um, but my life is revolved, you know, I can't be around, I can be around other people, but, you know, we have so much in common and we're always talking about the solution and we're always trying to help, uh, the, you know, the next guy in need. So it's been, you know, that's kind of been what I've done more with my life, where I filled the void of drinking has been in the program. Which is pretty cool. I mean, that's like a legacy thing too. Yeah. Obviously. Yeah. Uh, so like when you play golf now, is it, can you play with people who drink booze? Oh yeah. 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 And I'm, and you know, going to Suns games, Cardinal games, I'm the designated driver. It is a little bit hard, you know, hearing what I used to be like and being around it. Oh God, dude. You know, and I was a complete asshole. So these guys are way better than me. But it's like, okay, I can't wait to get home now. Um, but that's kind of what I signed up for. I was that guy. I had a 40-year run. 40 years, I was a maniac. It's a miracle I never got arrested. It's a miracle I never got a DUI. And now I I can be around it. I did have one instance. I went and visited Brett at TCU. And there was a rooftop bar at the height I was staying at. And the it went through my head like, ooh, I could go up there and drink and no one would know. Yeah. And luckily I didn't call my sponsor, went to a meeting in the middle of Bumblefuck, Fort Worth. Um, so that's the only time I've had the urge, but didn't. Um, otherwise it's just it's it hasn't popped up. Because, like you can sell yourself in the moment. I'm like, ah, it's just one time. Yeah. And that's but that's how the slippery slope starts. You're you're selling your soul, man. And I'm I'm not a guy that's going to be able to lie about it, and you know like there's some programs where guys don't drink but smoke weed, you know I don't consider that sober. I mean I wouldn't be able to consider that sober. I have to give up all mind altering substances. Yeah, and the point of you making about saying because when you do the the sober driving now, I've typically when we are in groups of people, I'm like the only dude who's like not drinking, or maybe I had a beer or something, if that was the case. And as the day or night progresses, people get it, like I look. I'll look at my wife and I'm like, "We need to go," because we hang around with some people who are very intelligent, and they're sounding like the dumbest fucking humans of all time. And I'm like, "I can't listen to this horse shit right now." I'm like, "It's ten o'clock." I'm like, "I should be sleeping." I'm like, "We need to leave," but it is when you're not, when you're not in it, you really get to see the regression of humans and what we turn into, and that's like. I've had some good mentors obviously doing this. And like, if your name is on the building, you typically can't be a fuckface or no one's going to show up. And so what he would say to me is like, you know, the person you are, that's who people remember all the time. So I never wanted to be the person where I'm saying things and doing things where that's the picture they're painting of me. Because when my business is always my name and me, I'm like, that's what you're buying. 
So if I'm the guy who's had, you know, 22 beers and I know that and I'm like, I'm peeing my pants and I'm a grown ass adult, like it's not a good look anymore. But you do see how fast that regression happens for people. Oh. Especially when you're sober. It's, and it's, it's a good reminder for me because I was way worse. Like I was, you know, I'm thinking I'm pulling it off. Yeah. You know, like, bro, I was like, oh, I wasn't that bad. No, I was. Because now you can think about it and be like, oh, I, I, a couple people, you know, I had to make amends with people. I had to was know, that tell like, people. Was that step nine? Uh, I think. I don't want to talk about which program yeah. I'm in. But, yeah, there, you know, there is parts where you have to tell people. And no one was shocked, you know. And, and quite a few are like, yeah, no shit, you're an alcoholic. Um, but, like, and that's a weird thing because nobody – does no one say we don't say it to each other? No, no, it's no one, a, no one told me. You know, I was a master at hiding stuff. I mean, yeah. Did people think I had a drinking problem? Yes. Did people think I was full on? Did people know what I really was? No. So you know, this program is all about being honest. You got to be, you know, very honest with yourself. Yeah. So once I was honest with me, you know, hey, now can people put together? you know, put the dots together and be like, oh, yeah. But really, dude, you know how it is. Most people only give a shit about themselves. Well, it's, it's what baffles me about life in general. We get we do so many things sometimes for, I guess, I don't personally because I could give a shit. I just don't give a fuck what people think about me. I really don't. I don't want people to think I'm an asshole. I'm like, but if you think that, I'm like, so be it. I know I do more good than harm. But we get so wrapped up on our own shit. We think the world revolves around us. So if we get a zit on our face or if we drive a certain type of car, we think everybody notices us. But the way I always go back to like when I had speech class in college, I was mortified. Like fucking, I'm like, I'm going to go up here. I'm going to sound like a dipshit. Everyone's going to laugh at me. And then I'm, I'm probably 20 years old at the time. And I sat there and I go, I'm not listening to a fucking word anybody else is saying. So why is anyone going to give a shit about what I'm talking about? And, and they're not. And that's when I realized <laughs> that at a young age. But so many people go through life where they think everyone's going to notice. And especially now, I mean, this whole Instagram, busy. this whole Instagram, oh, dude. getting likes and, you know, I, I follow five people on Instagram. You know, I'm not in that business. I only have it for, you know, attitude is free. Yeah. Uh, but I couldn't imagine growing up. I couldn't imagine being in my teens and 20s uh, and, and having to worry about that. I mean, I'm glad I don't. You know, my kids do. But it it is, you know, good. look take care of your own business would be I think what you say and what I say and really nobody gives a shit what what you're doing no well we're too we're all too busy and too inundated with everything and again obviously like we didn't grow up with it and I've have young kids out that work with me and, and for me and they put so much value on the numbers of those things where this is real life to me that in it and it's it's weird because you get in this space now like let's say like I live in more people are going to listen to me talk today or watch me on Instagram than I'll ever meet in real life, which is fucking weird. So is that more real or is this more real? But well, this will always be the real world to me where I don't know half a million people, which is who watches our Instagram shit. I don't know the hundreds of thousands of people who will listen to this. I go, I know you, I know my wife, I know these people, but that's the world I live in. Some of the younger folks, the internet has become their reality where a filter is their makeup. The likes they get or comments that's their they're driving confidence from that or some kind of self-worth from that which is it's a dangerous place to be in for sure it's scary it's scary you know having having two kids you know uh you know my oldest son has dealt with 
you know, confidence. Was he 18, 19? 19, 19. You know, he's he's gone through some highs and lows. And, you know, here and again, it, it doesn't discriminate. It's kind of like alcoholism, you know. This world, I can't, I can't put my myself in his shoes because I was never in his shoes. No. You know, so it's hard. And then being in a program, you know, I cannot, I'm not, I'm not allowed to control people, places, or situations. If I do that, I'm probably going to end up drinking. So I have to let go, kind of. So it's 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 kind of a weird dynamic that I have. Um, you know, to my kid's credit, he keeps grinding it out, and he's carving his own path. Uh, and you know, he'll come out on the on the right side. I do think it's just addiction in general. I think that when you look at social media behavior like how addictive it is when you go anywhere. And I don't know, obviously, if you could look at people's screen time and the patterns of what it would be and the dopamine hits they get. If you watch like The Social Dilemma, which is a great documentary. Yeah, I think saw that. that. It's, shit's real. Yeah. Where people are addicted. Yeah. Like, this is a thing. And I'm like, they're living on it. And I just, we, I call it posting and running away. I post and I run away. And then we come back and I spend an hour usually per day going through DMs and replying to comments. But I can't go down rabbit holes and look at stuff on there. And people who call me a fuck face or whatever it is, like, that's fine, yeah. dude. Like, I don't really, it's fine. Yeah. But some people take that to heart. Yeah. And it's a weird thing. And I do think there'll come a time where there's almost like a, a program for that where people are addicted to oh, social. Oh, definitely. Because it only goes deeper. It's, it's only going to get worse. I mean, it's, it's too... It's too personal, and there is no personal. I have a reality of what real life is. I went out and hustled door. I used to wear a suit and tie five days a week. That's terrible. Going to meet prospective clients. Like, that's reality. Like, I built my business from from scratch wearing a suit and tie, going on meetings. Now, I mean, some of these guys that have made a shit ton of money have never gotten further than their desk. So that is not reality. I mean, eventually you're going to have to deal with the public. You're going to have to deal with the, I would think, in some way, shape, or form, you're going to have to deal with humans. Uh, at least that's the life I live in. That's, I, I will always hold on to that. Like, I'm thankful for these tools. And I say this, and people will be like, you say this every fucking episode. I'm thankful for the tools. Like, it's provided me a life financially that I would never have, you know, trading time for money. Or it's just, it, it wouldn't be scalable enough. But with that, there's a prison. You kind of live inside of it, too. And uh, it's weird because technology is a one-way street. And with VR and all the weird things that will happen, I'm like, hopefully I'm in a different place where I don't have to participate in a lot of it. But I do think there's an addiction piece to it that uh, probably will rival alcohol at some point. I mean, it really it is that crazy for people. Because their perception of reality becomes just so skewed. And then you, you're living in this digital world that, isn't real yet it's taking over it's like you're in the matrix and the reality isn't the reality every person i've ever met that i've seen on instagram is not the same fucking person no a lot of times yeah it's uh i mean i'm just telling you i'm like man you're good looking on instagram and man you're average yeah real life what's uh we curate what we want people to see right i i don't know how it works i mean seriously i don't i my kids are Brett and his girlfriend got me to download TikTok when we were in Cabo. Oh, God. And I spent an hour on that. And I'm like, I, I don't get it. What? Why is this good? Done. I say, the, that. I say the same thing, man. It's uh, It all baffles me. Yeah. Uh, I'll do this. I'll get you out of here. Your fitness routine now. What's, uh, like, what do you do weekly? I hike 
you know, that's that's my big thing. You know, I have a third of a mile trail around my house, and we have three laps. Oh, nice. So we walk the dogs, or I have a curved treadmill, which is the greatest fitness piece ever invent, invented, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, I have a little gym, universal machine, dumbbells, uh, pickleball, and golf. So it's two days of lift. What's great now is that my pool's heated, so I, I had my first day this week a swim swim a quarter mile i'll get up to like three quarters of a mile that's and legit. for me that is the ultimate old man not hurt myself workout well especially because you like you're in fit dude so like you have enough muscle on you where swimming is a pain in the ass it's i sink i yeah. am not buoyant you know I, I have to put the thing between my legs so i just use my upper body oh, yeah. otherwise i just fall down you float yeah yeah that's uh i get that uh and then how do you eat these days uh low you know it's funny it's like Rehab is now called treatment, and Atkins is now called keto. Yeah, you know it's like it's a softer version. It's the same thing. So I've been I've been on Atkins, which I'll call it, for over twenty five years. I mean, not every day of my life, but like I, lower carbohydrate. Yeah, low yeah. carbohydrate um, is my go to. And you know, when I quit the booze, I gained a little weight because I became I became a sugar addict for a short period of time like okay i'm not drinking so i replaced it with sugar like what was your go-to uh rocky road ice cream okay like that that's my favorite yeah so that that it lasted like that was within the first 90 days you know when i travel i'll eat like a real person yeah um but when i'm at home it's like less than 30 grams of carbs a day no shit yeah every day that's uh yeah because your wife brought me um Whatever kind of jam you use. Oh, yeah. Which is chia seeds. Jam. Yeah. It's actually, I mean, I love strawberry jam, like the real shit. Um, it's just hard because it's, it's a sugar bomb, basically. Yeah. Um, and not that that's a problem, but it's hard to control it. So if I want to eat a lot of it, it's like, well, fuck, I just ate 40 grams of sugar. Goddamn. Um, it's not bad. No, no. And, and I eat chia seeds every day anyway, so I'm a fan of it. So when she brought it, it was good. And she was like, yeah, he eats this all the time. So I was just curious. What do you eat a couple times a day or what? I eat, yeah. I, I, you know, I try to do the 16 8. But I, I'm struggling with sleep, so there's times where I'll have to get up and have, you know, I have this, I have this unbelievable low-carb bread. Like, I've tried 100 She of told them. me the name of it. What is it? Yeah, I can't remember. Uh, Carbonat. Okay. And one gram of carb, and it toasts. I mean, it. put it to you this way. When I'm not on low-carb, when I have, like, a weekend, people are in town, I eat that bread instead of regular bread that's at our house when I'm not low-carbing. Okay. That's how much I like it. So I might have a piece of toast that... 11 o'clock at night uh, and I'll have crunchy crunchy peanut butter and then that that jam yeah that's not bad so yeah I try to minimize my meals not snack in between and low carb and like what is like proteins chicken fish steak uh a lot of I'm gonna be honest here a lot of steak me too uh okay. sa- sausage I like ribeye yeah New York strip um but I I love the pig yeah. Yeah, I love, like, cheddar uh, jalapeno sausage. I like Italian sausage. No shit. I like bacon, yeah. Sprouts does a pretty good uh, – the chicken sausage they make is pretty legit. I don't like it. It's uh, – I've been doing that because I'm like – because I can eat – dude, I can eat a pound of meat in, like, two seconds. Yeah, well, your business is your body. Yeah. So 
you know. <laughs> well, anyway, you take you take your clothes off for money. You can't look like a bag of shit. Yeah, so yeah, that. yeah. So I, I, but let me. You know, you grew up in Winona, Minnesota. Yeah. If it was your choice, would you eat an Italian sausage oh, or would you eat a chicken sausage? That's not like I can't even imagine. Like if my grandpa was still alive, he'd be like, "What the fuck is this?" Yeah, dude? you know. Yeah, yeah. Like I can't remember. Dude, I don't even know if, like, and not that you don't eat vegetables, but it's basically just, like, meat and potatoes. Like, if yeah. there's green shit, it's rare. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's the Midwest, dude. It's just different. You know what I miss from our old neighborhood the most? Taco John's. You know what? I had a buddy. He lives, uh, I think he's in Red Wing now, maybe. That's a close one. Yeah, yeah, Red Wing, the shoes. Yeah, but uh, six pack and a pound. Uh, Taco John's. You get the tato lays. Yeah. You get the tacos. Yeah. yeah. It's, uh, there's none west. No, there isn't. And for people who are listening who don't know, yeah. it's like, uh, but every place has its thing, though. Like, every little part of the world has its has its shit. What's Arizona's thing? I have no idea, because Arizona food blows. <sighs> you know, I didn't grow up here, so I'm, I'm trying to wonder, like. Their Mexican's horrible. It's got to be like those, like Filberto's, Umberto's, Alberto's. They're like all the same kind. But I've never ate it once. Yeah, me either. Well, I'm afraid I'll shit my pants or something. Yeah. Like I'm super nervous. Yeah. Like when when your bag is four pounds. Well, yeah, I don't uh, I don't eat outside of my normal circle a lot, so I get real nervous if I like if it's, I don't know what's in it and like or where it's at. Like if it's a nice place, like sure I can, I can roll with it. But I'm pretty picky because even though some of the places you go here too, like and that's not a knock against them. Like some of these steakhouses you go, it's like. Most of them, and it's nothing wrong. Like most of them are grain fed. Obviously, I think Don uh, Donovan's does like a grass fed steak. I think. See, I don't want grass fed, bro. I'm from the Midwest. And so, like, but they'll I want put grain fed. But like, if you go to like, uh, they does the, the taste will depend. Like, if you go to like Steak Forty Four, I mean, it's caked in butter. Yeah. Like it's so deep and it's yeah. so much. I'm like so good. Like this is it. But then I won't just eat a steak though, because it's like, well, am I gonna go there and eat asparagus? Well, fuck that. I'm no. like eat asparagus every day. I'm like, give me the potatoes, give me this, this, this. I'm like, I just ate six thousand calories in two minutes. I'm shitting my pants before I get home. Like, it's a bad... Oh, God, am I going to have to work tomorrow? Yeah. It's, uh... So I try to pick my spots here. But I don't know what Arizona's unique thing is. Yeah. It's, it, you know, there's a lot of Chicago places here now. Uh, Luminati's. Luminati's, Portillo's. Gino's is here? G- no, Gino. I, don't, I haven't seen a Gino's here. No. Uh, Frozen, but not any good. No. It's, uh... I remember that, like, when I first moved here, because we, we grew up so close to Chicago, you would get, uh... Luminati shipped to your house. Yeah. They would dry. Yeah. It's not the same, though. No. It's kind of like soggy. No, now they're here. Yeah. It's so thick, though. Yeah. Got them. Uh, you know, they have a low carb. How about this? I, I go to Luminati's in the original one in Arizona, Central and Camelback. And I was I used to order pizza and take the tops off. Yeah. That's how I would eat it. I've been doing that for a long time. And I'm telling the waitress, I'm like, yeah, I want easy sauce and pull tops off. She's like, oh, we have a low carb option and they actually have a luminati's where it's just the sausage cheese and tomato sauce in a pie no shit yeah that's actually a genius idea yeah yeah like, like there can't be that many people that order it though uh, I've, I've ordered it plenty but you for sure yeah it's, but if you, I, it's actually on the menu yeah because if you go there most time you're just like fuck it yeah, dude i'm yeah. gonna get, I'm get deep deep dish and a side of uh thin crust yeah you uh you take any supplements or no yeah yeah what, uh, what do you take uh, well, I'm on testosterone. Well, you're uh, 58. You know. Yeah, I should be. If you're not, you're a fool. Um, you know, I, I have this doctor where every three months I get my blood done. And you know, the one supplement I've taken that I have proof, blood proof that works for me is fish oil. Yeah. And I couldn't take fish oil for a long time uh, because of the, I'd burp. 
And then I found a burpless one that, you know, it's like Amazon or whatever, and it's worked. Like I have, I have proof. And, you know, it was interesting. You were talking about the athletic greens earlier and the vitamin D. I went to a car, I went to, I had a cardiologist appointment this week, you yeah. know, because I'm 58. And they said I could have a vitamin D deficiency. So that must be a common thing. It's, uh, I've had it here um, twice in all the time I've lived here. And early on, like probably I'm not even 30 yet, I don't think, because I'll take vitamin D every single day. I use it 5,000 IUs typically. And what the physicians we've had on here and my own physician was like, about 75% of people in Arizona are deficient in vitamin D. Because to get, I think, full exposure, you have to be in the sun at least 30 minutes every day, but everything, like full front, back, arms, legs, the whole, sh- basically naked. Yeah, so who's that? Fucking, if you nobody. have a job, nobody, yeah. yeah. I guess if you just sit on your ass all day and do nothing. But that's what was the odd thing. And again, it's almost like, not even a vitamin, it's like a hormone regulator, where it kind of fucks with everything in the system. And that's, if you look at COVID numbers too, specifically, the people who are deficient typically have a different melanin in the skin. So if their skin is darker, they can't absorb the sunlight, like obviously as well. So they get are more susceptible to it because the virus replicates and all this complex shit. But vitamin D is probably for most people like one of the most, and it's like the cheapest shit though. Yeah, I didn't have any, I didn't have any idea. You know, I mean, I, I it might be in my, you know, cups of supplements that I take, but, but she brought it up and, no, then, then you brought it up. I'm like, oh, I got to make sure of what. And she did say it's very hard to absorb, you know, use capsule. Yeah, usually with, um, if we have some, I'll give you some to take. Uh, usually the liquid, like the, uh, they're, they're either the gel caps, uh, we have a liquid one, where they put it with the K2. So if it's D3 and K2, if they go together, it, the body absorbs it better. It just needs like an agent, like an item for to get to the system. Or sometimes they'll just, people will just buy like this cheap ass vitamin D that has nothing. And it's like, you shit it out, essentially, okay. which is okay. crazy. Um, so I'll get you out. I'm going to pee my pants. Um, I'll get you out of here. Well, uh, if you have any final words of, uh, advice for, for the young folks out there looking to be, uh, we talked about it a little bit, if it's become their own boss or, or start their own business and they, they want to do, they want to do what you do maybe, or they think they do. They want to make millions of dollars. They want to, they want to be the man. Uh, but if I go back to my former self, I'd want to be, you know, I graduated college in three and a half years you know, BS in finance from Northern Illinois. I would, but I did not work hard enough at school in hindsight. Um, and I would have got more education. You no know, shit. I would want to be smarter than, you know, the hustle is the hustle. Like you were, you were going to do that either way. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, and I'm street smart enough. You know, I'm horrible at geography and it, to this day it bugs me. Like I can't, I'm, you know, countries in Europe and dude, if you give me a map, I could name you about 30 States maybe. Yeah. That East know, coast shit. I'm like, I don't know any of those. Like, like I really wish I would have learned more when I had, when it was, you know, that was my job and I would have got, you know, my goal for my kid is that like he graduates college. I told him if he ever wants to run the family business, he either has to get his MBA at a top 25 school. He's got to be a CPA or he's got to get a law degree. You know, That's otherwise, real. otherwise he's got to go out on his own. I mean, I'm not handing him our business, but if he ever wants to be in line to maybe one day possibly run the business, you got to come in at least with one of those three credentials. Um, and if if my parents, you know, my parents was, they were going to pay for four years of college, you better be done because you're done. I'm That's not it. paying anymore. Yeah. Uh, 
you know, if I had that opportunity, I'd want to have more education. And and if you want to make money, you better be in the hustle business. You better be in the sales business and be on a commission basis as opposed to a salary, in my opinion. Because you really can't make enough. No. If, if you're good, you're going to get paid. I mean, you never fire a top sales guy, but you'll take you'll fire a top ops guy or top human resources person or, you know, the top janitor, whatever. Because at the end of the day, like most of the every business, really, it's you're selling shit. Yeah. Whether like we don't frame it that way here. I don't frame it as like I'm selling fitness. I don't think I should sell people on like you should eat healthier and exercise, whatever I go. But what we're doing is we're educating and presenting and marketing it in a way where we make it seem like it's going to, we're trying to help as many people as we can in the, but it really is sales at the end of the day. Yes, it is. That's what we all do. You're, we're all in the hustle game. Yeah. And you know, the, the, I was telling you about the, the, uh, the Uber show where they showed the Amazon principles. Well then Uber did hit their principles and the first one on his was always be hustling. And you know, the Uber guy did pretty well. And I, and I do, and I adhere to that philosophy as well. I mean, in your, in the whole time you've worked, obviously like decades now, I mean, and I know sometimes people, this whole, the get rich quick shit to me is the equivalent of like, well, I'm going to get fit in like three weeks yeah, type yeah, of nonsense. Yeah. I've yet to meet anybody doing this podcast or honestly, even in this business, basically my business is doing this. We just happen to be exercising while we do it. And I've gotten to meet some like super successful people and success in a lot of different ways, financially, personally, and they're happy, all these different avenues. I've yet to meet one where there's like, you know what? I didn't really work that hard and I became super successful and super wealthy at just being a lazy ass. Yeah, I haven't met that person. Yeah. And I think sometimes the misconception with whether it's social media or the world, people paint a picture of where it's easier. Hey, buy this course, invest in this, and you'll be able to do this. And like, that's not real life. You know what my greatest, what I love hearing people say, and this is the most common thing. There has been surveys done with people, employees. Why do you want to own your own business? And the number one answer, number one across the country in any survey, I want to work less. <laughs> so how, you know, this is, this is what I always say to my business partner. Like in the beginning, he'd, he would be like, can you believe, can you believe they did? And my response is, that's why they're employees. You know, of course they're that way. Of course they're going to disappoint you. Of course they're not going to do it the way we want to do it. That's why they're employees. Well, I do. I hear people say that, or they'll be like, it, "That was a phrase." Is like, "Well, it'd be nice if 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 I own my own business, or I'd like to do what you do." And I don't want to sound like an asshole when I say it, but I'm like, "You don't want my life at all, especially what this is. This is a service business, and I've died for it for a long time to be this. And this isn't a money business. Like, if you make." a couple million bucks in this business, like you're really ridiculously successful and it's great. I go, but when you're your own boss, all you did was quit a job working 40 hours a week for somebody else. So you could work a fucking hundred. Exactly. On your own. Exactly. Not so you could work less. No, way more and never turn it off. And honestly, the first couple of years, you're probably going to eat shit. Yeah. And make little to no money. Keep the lights on. Maybe. Yeah. And you better like, love it. Yeah. To a level where people look at you like you're a psychopath. Yeah. No, but that is the perception. I mean, so giving advice to people, you know, when, when their preconceived notion is, yeah, I want to own my own business so I can work less, you're never going to make it. You better stay in your job. Yeah, and I would say if you're to do it, 
if you li- if you enjoy it, like to me again, similar to you, it's never the end game. Like to me, like the score is going to be what it's going to be. Yeah, I'm just going to play the first quarter, second quarter, and if I like it and I'm having fun, I'm probably going to be okay. And I have like certain metrics. Like obviously, it's a bit as much as we help people. Like it's got to make money yeah. here. But we can't fucking help anyone. <laughs> I go, but I don't just sit and check the scoreboard every second, every day. And I didn't start this like to just make money. I'm like, I didn't want to hate the shit I was doing. So I'm like, if I enjoy it. And if I do it hard enough and long enough, I'm like, I'll probably be able to make it work. Yeah. And it's just, uh, I wish that was, and I, I would tell it to anybody just because I know a lot of people, they're in a job where they don't like it. I'm like, well, that's not a good reason to do your own shit. No. It really no. is. It's a, it's called a job for a reason. I didn't even know what staffing was when I started a staffing company. I like making money, you know? So if you're in a job... Get in a job that you can make money, and you'll find that you probably like your job more. So, you know, if you're if you're passionate about something and don't make money, great. But if you're going to hate it anyhow, then you better make money at it or go find something else. I mean, for the first time in a long, long time and being in the staffing business for over three decades, their employees have never had more leverage than they have right now, ever in my history. You know, that doesn't mean you can fuck off your boss or tell them, you know, I want a 50% raise. But you can work from home. You can, you know, work less hours. I start people out with four weeks vacation. I never heard of such a thing. It's like two would be like the most. The most, dude. Yeah. When we started work, it'd be like you get a day a month. You know, you work a month, we'll give you a day until you get to 10 days. And then you're going to have 10 days to you have five years. Now I start people day one with four weeks vacation. I mean, I have to have town hall meetings because I have to care about everyone's feelings. And I do. But back when I started, we didn't give a shit about anything. And there is no month off in this no. life. No. That doesn't exist. If, there, if, you're, if you take a month off, you might come back and it might not be there. That's I, I, I joke all the time, if, especially if you're not, if you don't like live and breathe it, right? Like if I, especially my stuff, because like we run a small business, if I leave for a month, I love everybody here. They're great. The thing folds like a fucking lawn chair pretty quick. Like it just, it collapses. Yes, yes. And I'm like, that's what I would tell everyone. I go, so if you're looking for something where you can turn your brain off for a month, this is not for you. It's almost worse. When I, when I was young in my career, it was worse when I traveled than when I was there. I was more of a psychopath because I had a, you know, I couldn't see it. So I was micromanaging the fuck out of it. We didn't have FaceTime back then. You know, I couldn't do what they can do today. So it would got to the point where I'm like, you know what? I'm just not going to travel. I'm just going to work. And that's what you give up. Yeah. To get yeah. Here. Yeah. But it worked out. It did. This is good, man. This is all good shit. Where um where can these guys uh where can these guys find you at? Uh if they're going to stalk you. Uh, well, my Instagram is uh, at Brett S. Hart, B-R-E-T-T-S-H-A-R-D-T. Uh, our brand, which we'd love to have you follow us. You don't even have to buy anything, but just check it out, is Attitude is Free. And if anyone's looking for a hustle, wants to be a recruiter, look up thebestclaims.com. Uh, corporate offices in Phoenix. And uh, those are legit jobs. Yeah. If you're willing to work. Yeah. Six-figure jobs for... You know, regular dudes like me. And here you are. Yeah, yeah. Maybe one day if you guys work, you can have a 25,000 square foot house in the basketball <laughs> court. <laughs> it's fucking crazy, dude. Um, I'll put some pictures up on the Instagram. People get a kick out of it. 
But I appreciate this, man. Yeah, thanks for having me. This is good stuff, dude. Um, I'm going to put all his stuff in the show notes, you guys. Uh, you can check it out. Um, yeah, obviously, give attitude is free to follow. I'll put some of the, I'll get the clothes rocking here and I'll put it in some of my videos too so you guys will be able to see it. Um, if you guys got questions, obviously, give them a follow. Um, you can hit them up. Don't be a, don't be a creep show. Um, be cool as always. Uh, again, if you guys got questions, all the sponsor in the show notes as well. You can check it out. If you guys want the greens packets, hit me up. Monica will shoot you one for free. My gift to you. I'll be back here either Sunday or next Friday, worst case scenario, depending on my schedule. So if you guys are on Spotify, drop it a five star. If you're on Apple podcast, leave a comment, drop a five star. We'd appreciate it as always. And until next time, you guys eat well, train hard, be nice to people. And please, you guys keep doing shit you love with people you enjoy because your life is too short not to. I'll talk to you soon. Peace.